0: Get in the action, on the Action Addicts Podcast,
1: no greater faction, than the action movie scene. Get in the action, on the Action Addicts Podcast, your satisfaction, action all the Hello ladies and gentlemen and welcome back to the show. My name is Scott Wiley and you're listening to the Action Addicts Podcast. Today on the show we've got a bit of a bonus stroke special episode for you. I am joined by two guests for the first time in a while and this is going to be the debut of talking about something that is not a film. This is a web series and I think you're going to enjoy this one. As you will have already seen by the title of this episode, this is Power Rangers Unworthy. And if you're not sure whether or not you should listen to this, I'm going to be, well, I'm biased, obviously, but yes, you should. If you haven't even heard of this show and you've never seen it, link to the show notes will be a playlist that plays you the episodes that are currently released in the order that you need to watch them. If you're listening to this in the future, there is a good chance that that playlist will have been updated to include additional episodes, but obviously this conversation will not be able to reflect any episodes that are released in the future at the time of this recording. This episode is actually one that's been sat dormant for a while uh, due to a mix of different things, so some of the conversation is actually kind of been not outdated But there's a few things that have actually kind of come up in the Unworthy's social media. So there's a couple of little bits that if you're really paying attention, you're like, I already know the answer to that. So don't worry too much about that. But for most people, I don't think that'll be an issue. The other thing that has changed is that we recorded this before Power Rangers once and always was given a trailer stroke really more than just an idea. So that's how long ago this was recorded. Uh, The Once and Always trailer wasn't released that long ago, but it was released quite a while ago now because Once and Always is literally coming out next week at the time of recording. And I will probably do a bonus episode on it because it is something that I'm personally excited for. As you guys know, I grew up with this franchise. And that is also one of the other reasons why I wanted to do Power Rangers Unworthy because it is something that manages to balance everything I liked about it as a kid with watching it as an adult. And it does the action really, really well, which is why one of the guests today is Aaron Vargas, who you guys will be familiar with from previous episodes, and you will definitely be hearing from him again. I will let the other guest introduce himself, because otherwise I'm just going to repeat myself, but he is a writer for the hashtag show, and he is a Power Rangers expert, so you're going to get a great variety of opinions, but I'm going to give you a bit of a spoiler. All three of us love this show. It's why we did it, and it's why I made it uh, another exception to, you know, do the editing for three people, which I think is actually going to be something that you may hear more in the not-too-distant future, because there's a few ideas that have been essentially pitched to me, which is a nice change of pace for some films that feature a couple of people talking, so we'll see how it goes. But either way, this is a very long episode, so I'm not going to rant and rave anymore unworthy is worth a watch and if the team that made that is listening you did great and you did fantastic and to all of the stunt people that have been involved from various different teams throughout this show's existence you guys did amazingly as well and we give everybody props in this so i hope you enjoy this and i will see you for the outro ladies and gentlemen, we are back, we're in the live room, and today is one of those episodes that I'm going to have great fun editing because we've got more than one guest, which is something that I try not to do, but in this instance it is well worth it because we are joined by both a returning guest that it has been far too long since we've last had on, and we're joined by a brand new guest that I'm very excited to get on and hear his point of views because the thing we're going to be talking about today is Power Rangers Unworthy. Some of you already know what that is, some of you definitely won't. So, before we get too far into it, let's introduce the new voice. Tom Craven, would you like to say hello and tell everybody about yourself? As always, coming at you live and direct straight
2: from my little recording studio of an office, tis I, Tom the off of Gaming. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, my name is the Tom C. You might know me from off of Gaming. I'm also a contributor with ThatHashtagShow.com as the Resident Ranger Writer. It- Thank you so very much for having me on Scott
1: it's a pleasure to be here. That's quite alright it was uh it's always a nice surprise when people say yes. So you know, I I always say thank you for coming on and I appreciate people that are polite enough to say thank you, but it's always nice for me to have different people to chat to. And our returning guest is Aaron Vargas who compared to when you were on the first time, I think it's fair to say has kind of blown up on Twitter. You've got a lot more uh uh People following you than you did when you were first on. How's that been for you, Aaron? Um, it's been interesting.
0: I feel like it's the headshots that I put on my Twitter that really gave me a boost. Um, but um, but I mean, really, it's been cool. It's been cool to get support uh, from everybody with regards to the stunt stuff. Um, I gotta say, once I once my episode with you came out last year, I've, I've noticed a lot of people have been taking my Twitter more seriously. Actually, and they're like a big like follower boost. So um you know it's great to be back honestly and it has been long overdue. I know we've been trying to do Unworthy for a while. So uh thank you for having me back on. And for anyone that doesn't know I'm a stunt performer done a project now so I guess I have something to for credit. So uh so yeah, early in my career and um happy to be talking Unworthy.
1: I, I like the progression that we can uh, that we can essentially show off that if you go back and listen to mine and Iron's episode on Desperado which is an absolutely brilliant episode and I'm really glad to hear that that episode gave you a boost, because that just shows that it, it's it's getting what it needs to do done, but also aspiring stunt performer, now stunt performer. Next time Aaron's on, he'll have more projects under his belt, and we can track his career with every appearance on the show. I think that'd be pretty cool. <laughs> Hopefully
0: by the next time we record, i have my SAG part. So that, that would be cool. cool. That would be great.
2: Yeah, man. So, Fingers yeah. crossed. See that progression? Get that progression graph going.
1: Okay, so we've assembled this uh, super team of people. One Power Ranger expert and one person that is in the stunt community and myself that's somewhere in the middle. So, we are going to be talking about the YouTube sensation that is Power Rangers Unworthy. It is 100% not just a group of people filming themselves doing martial arts in a backyard. The people that made this show really put a lot of effort and time and money into it in order to give the fans what they wanted. And to be honest, when this came out, and still kind of now, that's quite difficult to do, because Power Rangers fandom is a bit broken and fractured, in my opinion. I've spoken about this before. So it's really nice that Unworthy is one of the few things that, in my opinion, everybody agrees is great. Would you say that that's
2: fair, Tom? I would absolutely. I think that ever since it premiered at Power Morphicon and won the fan film, um, it really has evolved into its whole life of its own. It's its own series that we take very seriously. Like, you know, there's a, like you said, there's a lot of folks out there who just film in their backyard. And I think it has a level of polish that a lot of these other fan
1: films don't offer. What about you, Aaron? I know that uh, you hadn't seen these until I, I kind of like you. You were trying to recommend something else to me, and I cannot for the life of me remember what it was now. But I was like, "You should watch all of the Unworthies." And then you started, and then you were addicted from like the word go. <laughs> you just uh, binged them all, which was great.
0: Yeah, yeah. The other one I recommended was Bloodline of the Grid because uh, a friend of mine is is in that. Yeah, my friend of mine's in that. His name's John Tiang. So the most recent episode he's in. And so yeah, you recommended me Unworthy. And I was like, okay, cool. I was like, I trust I trust Scott, big Power Rangers fan, so I'm gonna go into it. And yeah, I was not disappointed. You know, I guess we'll talk about this as we go along, but there is a progression in production value, in choreography, camera work, all that stuff. So to keep it short, I don't know what the state of the fandom is like. You guys are more experts on that. But I but this right here, I can see how that could
1: bring everyone together. So that's really cool. Well, I think the very first episode at least, is part of the reason why it's so good is because the people that were working on it behind the scenes was a mix of Power Ranger fans and a mix of stunt professionals. I know you, Aaron, know the Carmen Raman stunt team, and they basically were a big part of Episode 1's production. Episode 2's production had Deviant Children and Team 1 takes stunt action design. So they had quite a lot of uh, people involved that actually know what they're doing in terms of the action. I believe there's other people that got involved later, but their names don't get featured at the beginning of the episode, so they're not as easy to figure out. However, the very first episode had Carmen Ramen and it had the Unworthy Team. And the actor that plays the Blue Ranger is the guy that basically created the show. He's also the guy that created the costumes, and he's the guy that a lot of the creative energy came from. But it was definitely a collaboration, as there are members of art school dropouts also part of this production, and Stephanie Pham is Scorpina, and Angela comes back later on to be the Green Ranger, but she's also a putty in the first episode. So there's a lot of DNA of the people that we follow and that we listen to, and although at the time of recording, Aaron and Tom won't have heard this, but everybody listening will have already heard my conversation with the art school dropouts, and we didn't actually mention Unworthy while we were recording anyway, even once. But they're in it, so, you know, if you want to see a collaboration between some really good stunt people, this is a great way to watch it. And it's got Power Rangers as well, which is great. But when I first mentioned about doing this episode, Tom made a really good point that this show doesn't just go, hey, there's Power Rangers, enjoy. There are so many deep cut references to other Power Rangers, to the movies, the music, any kind of reference that you think, oh, I wonder why they did that. It's probably referencing something else. So. In episode one alone, Tom, how many can you spot?
2: <laughs> oh, God. Um, I mean, first, we can start right off. We'll start with Draken. I mean, that's that's going to call right to the Boom Studios uh, Necessary Evil line that Ryan Parrott and Kyle, Steven, Kyle Higgins started, excuse me. Uh, Kyle Stevens, another guy in the yes. nerd community. Uh, <laughs> if, if anybody listens to Kirby Crackle, shameless plug. Um, what's nice about that is that, you know, we're, they were smart and they took everything that was topical that was right there that the power rangers can go oh good Uh," and we're gonna run with it and then to have Draken boom killed off right there in the beginning with the arbiter was nice uh then you get the Mastodon sentry which again was a gorgeous design um keep going you've got other things like uh you get as they start fighting their version of scorpina on earth two point or two dash one eight by the way do you guys know why it's called that I've heard. I've been told why, but I cannot remember. So you feel free to remind me. It's the date it de- debuted. Ah, either the date they de- it debuted or the day they started filming. Uh, like it was February eighteenth or something, if I remember correctly. So yeah, and so we get their particular versions of the unworthy suits, and then to have a MMPR suit come through was uh, equally just as nice. Uh, it just it really just plays to everything like. If you know, you know, and if you don't know, you go. I wonder why, and it leads you back over to this. So if you're, you know, a topical fan or just a a newer generation fan, you're going to go, why was it that? And then you're going to go back, and it just <clears throat> gets you all back in there. Now.
1: <laughs> now I'm going to assume, Aaron, before I move on, that you probably didn't pick up as many of the references as Tom and I did. Would that be fair?
0: Yeah, I mean, all i all I got were the costume designs. And then nothing past that. Um, So, you know, you guys got the deep cut
1: knowledge here. Well, I mean, for me, again, we're not just going to talk about episode one and we're not going to go into granular detail because we would be here for hours if we tried to do that. But I do want to just sort of for people that maybe don't know, there's a lot of stuff that went into pleasing people and giving that nostalgic feel. And as uh, Tom said, you know, you start with Drachem. The Arbiter comes in, is better than Draken, kills Draken, and that's your cold opening to make you kind of go, "Oh, okay." And at the time this came out, as Tom said, this was very much Draken's time. He was still like massively popular. He was still very relevant in the comic books. I can't exactly remember where they were uh in terms of issues, but I was reading them, you know. So I was like, "Oh, well, I'm going to watch this." And then the Arbiter's suit design is fantastic. I mean, he just looks like a tank. There's he, he genuinely is probably one of the most well-designed characters in all of PR, and this isn't official PR, I'm just going to say it, so props to them for that that design. But when we then cut to the Power Rangers of 218, the music that plays is Devo's Are You Ready, which is a music track that plays in Mighty Morphin Power Rangers the movie, when the original team fight the Ooze Men. So that straight away told me, okay, you've got me, like, I'm in, and everything about that whole sequence from the choreography is referencing different versions of the Rangers. The Blue Ranger Billy, specifically the way he flips around with his feet, is literally pulled from the 2017 version of Billy that they did in the reboot. And Rocky and Kimberly say, are you going to do a double whammy? Which is literally taken from the next sequence in Mighty Morphin the Movie between Rocky and Adam. Which, you know, like I said, if you want to go really, really deep in, there is so much stuff here. The next sequence where they come out of the cinema and they're having a debate about how good the movie was, whether the CGI was any good, there wasn't enough action, and then Adam says you can't please fans, all of the things they said were literally what fans were saying about the 2017 reboot, which was still fresh in people's mind at the time. So I always assumed that's what they were talking about. But! I'm not just going to sit here and show off all the references I caught because, again, we'd be here forever because each episode is full of them. What did you think of the actual action itself, Aaron? I'm going to start with you because that's kind of your area of expertise. How did you find it?
0: Yeah, so, I mean, you know, the thing about, like, watching fan films is, like, I don't really watch a lot of fan films. So when I when I watch one, you know, I it's easy to tell, and you're kind of like, okay, and you might even be close-minded to it at first. Um, but then you see like the forms they have. They're like, you call them kicking lines, you know, when they extend their leg out and stuff. And sometimes on fan films, you know, you're just trying to get through it, right? You're on, you're on a shoestring budget, so you're just like, okay, just just go through the choreography. We'll fix it in post, whatever. No, these people are putting their their all physically into the choreography. Their kicking lines are great. They are selling the hits. They're, the camera work's amazing and editing is good too. So um, so right off the bat, you know, this first episode um although it's probably like the lowest budgeted episode is still really impressive. And it just goes to show um, that despite all of the, you know, references they're making in the dialogue, there's something there that's grabbing my attention still as a casual fan. So, um, so the, the, you know, all this mixed together and I'm liking the characters, right? There's dialogue between the action, which is important. You want like character work in the action. You don't just want cool choreography. Like you said, you know, Billy has his style, Kim, the, um, the Red Ranger, like they all have their different ways of fighting. And I think that's very important in Power Rangers. You just got to you gotta have them be like, you know, you got to have variation. So um, I see that and, that. and that's what drew me in initially. I was like, oh, yeah, they care. They definitely care about getting this right. They're honoring Sakamoto in a way with some of their camera work and their angles down low, you know, without getting super into it. But um, I see a lot of Sakamoto in there. And I love that. So.
2: Again, like, like I said, just for, just from production or, you know, production value aside, the fact that they just went all out for it, you know, whether or not this was, if they planned it, when Jordan wrote this and, and did it, was planned to kick ass and take names at Morphicon for the fan film festival is one thing, or if they just did it as a labor of love, didn't matter. It all came out right there um, that it's been able to evolve and progress over time is just a testament to the amount of respect that they put into it and the fact that you know yeah we're gonna throw a few fourth wall breaks in there we're gonna go hey we're talking about you you know go for it you know the, the one thing about the ranger fandom i think that as opposed to other fandoms that i've said numerous times the ranger fandom is not does not have a very stark contrast like say, Star Wars fans, or, or, or so on and so forth, we can take the joke. You know? Um, our, our you know, morphin suits, or, you know, the biomechanical skin, or whatever series you want to talk about, it's a little thick. We we can go for it. And that's what makes it great. And I think the other thing that really helps, that I think about it, helps it along, was uh, the uh, Avi, was it Avi Arad that did the uh, super dark one that, you know, oh you mean the the the
1: the debut on youtube no that was adi shankar adi shankar thank you
2: excuse me excuse me
1: um and i think that this was a nice
2: in between that you know our great corporate overlords at hasbro or nickelodeon at the time were like we're okay with this as opposed to the other one
0: well if i can add to that too um that that is the only fan thing I had seen from Power Rangers. That wasn't official PR. Um, so going into Unworthy, I was almost judging it off of that a little bit, which was unwise. So um, I, I've gotten to appreciate Unworthy now on its own. But I was going in, I was like, I really like the Adi Shankar one because as a casual fan, you are kind of like like it has high production value. You know, it got James Van Der Beek and stuff. Uh, the no yeah yeah and and when i go into this one though i mean like it's like you said it's nice in between like uh, i'm starting to watch time force again um
1: yeah so i'm
0: like i'm like this is like really uh, this is really awesome and and really like lighthearted. but i like the power rangers you know adi shankar and so right here you got like both of them so like tom mentioned there's a cool in between there and and it made me realize like oh yeah that's
1: really cool i actually think to my surprise there's three people talking that actually like the Adi Shankar debut. Um, but one thing I will say is that something that I still see people get wrong now that that really hate that version, that version was deliberately done to be as dark, gritty, and depressing as it could possibly be because they basically wanted to make a statement that you could take the most kid-friendly franchise and make it dark and gritty and adult. dull that doesn't make you a good filmmaker because at that point, Every franchise was being rebooted, and it was the dark Batman version of it. And they were basically going, look, we can do that to Power Rangers. That don't mean anything. That doesn't mean that you're revolutionizing what this franchise could be. It just means you've just added in a bunch of adult stuff and gone, look, it's got adult stuff in now, like us. Um, I feel like, unfortunately, because it got way more attention than they were expecting, including the ire of Saban, who took it down briefly... You know, they had to, that, that message kind of got lost. But I think a lot of people did understand that. And the fact that Addy got invited to Power Morphicon to explain it kind of helped. But I still see people get that wrong now. So if you didn't know that, you know that now. Take this knowledge and go forth and spread the good word. Because it really annoys me.
0: And it's crazy because, I mean, like, not to like go too off track, but it's actually really good. Like, I mean, they're trying to make a point, but my God, it's like, it is good, though,
1: you know? The the thing that I find really funny is um Jason David Frank was asked to reprise his role as Tommy in that short and he turned it down. But then when the short came out and he saw that Katie Sackoff was in it and he saw that James Vanderbeek was in it, he was like, Hey, where where was my invite? And they were like, We did invite you. You said no. Oh. <laughs> 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 Which I still find so funny. But uh talking about the fact that this is a mix of the two versions, it goes darker, but it doesn't go over-the-top into DC Universe territory. I actually like the way that they do that within the universe. So that first fight that has a bunch of references is literally played like you're watching an episode of the 1990s My Morphin Power Rangers. It's cheesy, it's over-the-top, it has the music, uh Stephanie is going full hand mode with Scorpina and her cackling, and all of that stays there until you have that lightning crash moment of the Arbiter smashing his way into their rated-for-everybody universe, and now suddenly it's PG-13 or it's a 15 or whatever. And uh, I like that. I like the fact that it feels different. It's not just that the Arbiter has come in and now everything is broken. The music is different. The choreography is different. The way it's shot is slightly different. As you say, that first shot is very reminiscent of how Sakamoto would do it, how Jeff Pruitt would do it, And whilst they don't entirely lose that feel as it goes on, they do bring in a lot more what I would call just general modern sensibilities to show how powerful the Arbiter is. Because all throughout the show, with one exception, which we will get to at the end, the Arbiter doesn't lose. He he barely even stops to take damage, which is nice. But it also does sort of leave you with that question of how do we make this interesting to watch? Because this guy's got to go through X amount of episodes. And they do it really well. They give you weapon work. They give you hand-to-hand work. They let him use his teleporting powers, which for some reason no other ranger ever uses the power of teleportation effectively. But he does. And I really like that. It it makes him stand out from everybody else. Because by the end of this, there's a lot of rangers that you've seen. Because one good thing that we mentioned earlier is this progresses. And episode three, man, there's a lot of power rangers. (laughs) Yeah, just a bit. But before we talk about that one, I do have to say that that's pretty much episode one for me, sort of, mentioned. But one thing they do tease quite nicely is they show you those texts of Tommy. And I don't think anybody was expecting the Tommy Oliver that we got, and I really liked it because it kind of shut some people up, but also I think changed some people's minds because the idea of making Tommy female had been brought up before. Specifically, I've been brought up in the 2017 movie. That cast really lobbied hard to change Tommy into a female character so that they would be balanced. There would be three guys and three girls. It would actually be equality in their minds. Obviously, that never happened because the 2017 film, unfortunately, didn't do very well. But I feel like they kept that and wanted to do that for Earth-218. But they didn't just do that. They gave the character a complete redesign in terms of how it looked so that it would actually fit better on the actress's shape. And I really appreciated that. I I loved the redesign of the Green Ranger. I think it helped make this Tommy Oliver stand out so that you're not just constantly comparing it to Jason David Frank. But also, I didn't really see any negative feedback to this. It genuinely didn't get the hate that I think everybody thought it would, because she was so good. (laughs) And the fights were amazing. They were almost a step above what we'd had in episode one. And, you know, it kind of helped that they played Go Green Ranger. I'm not going to lie. That that was a big part of, I think, some of people's hype. But it worked. You know, it it got what it needed to do. Everybody just kind of accepted her as Tommy Oliver. I think
2: that's because in episode one, they said, here you go. Here's our baseline. This is where we're starting at. We are not Mighty Morphin. We are not Airdish Shankar. We are doing this. This is our Green Ranger that's it our suits are different so it would make sense that her suit is different as well doing the gender swap is always is is, is good and i think that because of you know you other fans out there who are gokaijger fans who know that they've done gender bends obviously in gokaijger and then again in super mega force uh you know we've seen typically male uh suits been switched to female like uh, navy thunder had a had a swap um even in the comic books if you're following with that uh, Grace Sterling's team back in the 60s had a pink male Ranger or male pink Ranger and a red female Ranger leading the team. So, I mean, there was a little we had the idea in the back of our head and with what Unworthy did to just follow through and say, yep, F it. this is where we're going.
0: Uh, I think something smart too that Unworthy did was starting Tommy off in an action scene and starting Tommy off in suit. Because obviously you see the green suit. It is a female suit. However, it looks just like a regular Green Ranger suit. So there is a certain like familiarity already, so people are aren't gonna be totally like, "Oh, it's a gender bin. At least like they're seeing the suit, and like, "Oh dude, it looks cool though." And then seeing her kick ass right away was smart because you're able to be like, "Oh well, she can do the, she can do the stuff. So there's like a sense of like, hey, ease up, like we're gonna, this, we're showing you right away like what this Green Ranger is capable of. I think that was really smart. And um and kind of talk about the action, you know, real quick. Uh, like I said, it, it gets better as the show goes along. This is an example of that because they get a really good kicker in this, um, which um, a lot of modern choreography doesn't really showcase a lot. That's kind of the, you know, in action movies in general, there's not a lot of uh, great kickers, you know, like a Huang Jing Lee or something. Um, in this case, you have that. And I think that's really great. And uh, for to- for Tommy to be the kicker, I think is really smart, too, because Jason David Frank himself. Had some amazing kicks in Mighty Morphin, so um, so yeah, I mean, uh, great all around. And, and um, I didn't know it was AJ until uh, she took off the mask. So it was a very pleasant surprise. And when I was watching it, I was like, those kicks look very familiar, and I can't put my finger on who it is. And that's how like good she is. Is that her style is very and you know distinguishable and able to, and you're know, easy to it's easy to see.
1: Yeah, one hundred percent. I think even though she had done a lot of other stuff before being cast as the Green Ranger, I feel like that was an introduction for a lot of people, especially Ranger fans. And I think she gained a a lot of fans that inadvertently made what's going to happen later hurt more and hit harder. But I feel like there's a a whole group of people that watched and were like, damn, she's good. I like, I want to see more of this version of the Green Ranger. And I agree with you. I think showing her off, saving the team... Coming in at the 11th hour, which Tommy, when he was green, did always used to do for one reason or another, that really did feel like a connection back to how the story structure of Mighty Morphin would always be. And then you see this brand new suit, this different voice, but like you said, immediately just starts kicking the Arbiter's ass, sort of. But it's the the most we've seen a character up to that point stand up to the Arbiter. All the other five got demolished pretty much within like two minutes. Whereas Tommy managed to at least hold her own briefly. And they also did a lot of visual effects to make the power coming from the Green Ranger feel greater. One of the things I actually noticed that I made a note of, and I'm going to bet money that Tom noticed this as well, is you mentioned the kicks, but a lot of the kicks she does get accentuated with a little visual effect of a shockwave coming from the point of impact of the kick and then going out in a circular motion. Now, if you just watched it as a casual fan, that's fine. It's like, oh, that looks cool. But if you watch Power Rangers in the Disney era, that little shockwave kick was kind of one of the really visually identifying ways, knowing if you're watching a fight scene from Saban, Disney, Nickelodeon, neo Subban, or now Hasbro. Because that shockwave kick was throughout all of the Disney era, whenever they wanted to do a big powerful kick. You'd get this massive shockwave ring, and then someone gets pulled on a wire and flies across the screen. So even though it's a lot subtler in this, I did like that nice visual throwback to their showing power the same way that the Disney seasons used to, which I thought was a nice touch
2: yeah, absolutely the The idea uh, of that was really prominent in Dino Thunder, especially when they were Disney was pushing the civilian fights and the civilian uh abilities.
0: Uh, okay, so real quick, the 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 she does a spinning back kick, right? It's a spinning back kick to like his midsection that has like the shockwave, doesn't it? Yes. Okay. Okay. All right. I see what you're saying. I had to go back real quick because I was like, okay, yeah, what what is he talking about? And I saw it. I was like, oh, that's really cool. So that was a kick
1: that the that the Disney area would do a lot. Is that the type of? Oh kick? yes. Oh yes. Hmm. You you'd get a big. Well, either a spinning jump back kick or just a big uh-huh. roundhouse kick to the chest, uh-huh. it'd be a big, like, shockwave effect that would go out and around, yeah. and then the next shot would be, a, you know, the suit actor pulled on a wire, and he would just fly across the screen to, you know, show off how powerful they were. And like Tom said, in Dino Thunder and SPD, that used got used a lot. <laughs> Interesting. Okay
0: was Sakamoto part of those seasons or was that someone yeah, else? Yeah, yeah, yeah,
1: he was still there. He was um he was executive producer by that point. So I don't know how much he was involved in the fight scenes by that point. Um oh, Sakamoto, really? I think he was there all the way to the end in 2009 with RPM when that was going to be the end of Power Rangers and then I think the team got completely swapped when Saban came back. Like most of the old production staff was gone. The crew I think oh. was the same within reason like the the higher ups in the crew was the same but all, all the produ- producers were pretty much flushed and Saban brought his original people back with, for the most part mm. but he did eventually end up bringing other people back because he realized oh this isn't as easy as i remember <laughs> but we won't go into that <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
2: So episode two being done up in two, in two parts was interesting. Um, episode two, part one, really didn't do it for me. I mean, yes, it was a bunch of exposition. It was a bunch of talking. And I get it. It's the second part of episode two that I really enjoyed, um, especially when Billy was trying to put together you know, the device. And just like you saw in the original MMPR with the production value that they had at that time, Mm-hmm. Using what they had, using a Super Nintendo. Um, I was going to reference how in Mighty Morphin, they had the anti-sonic foam gun, which was an old Nerf blaster. And here I am, 10 year old me going, I have that gun. Why my, why doesn't mine look like that? I want mine to look like that. Um, <laughs> so I thought that was a really nice way to, you know, tie everything together to say, Hey, look, we're just, it's, it's a great homage that we're
1: doing this, the same type of things that we've seen before. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I do find it funny that Billy's, um, uh, thing is basically a Game Boy Advanced SP. That, that always makes me chuckle. But the fact that, uh, going forward a little bit, and then I'm going to rewind, the fact that that device ends up essentially becoming almost this world's version of a, of a device that did exist in Mighty Morphin, and I do not remember its name, so don't come at me diehards, but In Mighty Morphin, Billy builds a device that allows them to open a portal to penetrate into the dark dimension. And it's this really flimsy looking thing on a tripod with a big gun at the top of it, essentially. But, yeah, but the thing they build in this is pretty much their version of that. It's on a tripod. Mm -hmm. It's this flimsy thing with a Game Boy on top of it with a coin and a communicator and it opens up a portal. So I'm like, there you go. There's another reference. This Billy builds a thing that they had in Mighty Morphin to save the day. Works for me. <laughs> the other thing that um, when uh, when Aaron and I was talking about the, the, the choreography and he went back and saw the shockwave, you mentioned Dino Thunder, and that actually made me... That set me up, and then I forgot about it, but so I'm going to go backwards now. But the dragon attack that Tommy does where she spins the green circle around her did you also feel like that was a reference to Dino Thunder with the Brachio Staff's finishing move, which is a giant circle and then an attack that fires forward? I would say that that's pretty
2: darn close to it. Um, I don't know if they did that on purpose or just because it looked cool, but that, yeah, I never put those two and two together, so I will give you a nod to that one. Absolutely.
1: Yeah, like I said, it might have been an accidental one, but it 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 seemed pretty similar, so I'm taking it. I don't know. But, um, I do like the dialogue that the Arbiter gives when he's talking and they're trying to convince him that they're not a threat. And he basically says, Yeah, well, I've been to lots of other worlds and I've seen ranger overlords, shattered dimensions, and robot clone armies. And I'm like, Yep, every single one of those is a reference. (laughs) Let's name every storyline out there. Yep. (laughs) Because it's funny too, because like you say, because these episodes have such gaps between them, when they did the very first one, I don't think I think Shattered Dimensions had kicked off, but I don't think it had really like taken the world by storm as it did. And the episode in oh, Super Ninja Steel, which is the one he's referencing with robot clone armies, and that, which is basically the like dollar store version of Shattered Dimensions, which just makes me chuckle so much that the official the official show feels like a ripoff of the comic book that's based on the show. But the YouTube series manages to do a better job ripping off than the actual show did. <laughs> With Lord Draven or whatever his name is.
2: Yeah. The other thing is, one of my other favorite references that they've done was the, uh, a callback to Mighty Morphin season one. And again, I don't know if we missed this as we were having technical difficulties as I got stuck in the Morphin grid. The Terra arrow, or the dragon arrow that they did as well. Mm. Knocking the dragon dagger in the Terra bow. Um, That was a one-off done in season two, I believe, at some point, which was just like, they did the thing. And I love it when they do the thing where you can go, they did the thing. I love the, yeah, they did the thing. And even my wife likes it when I do the thing, when I say they did the thing, especially in this series. Because there's some things she gets, and then there's other things where she sees me get excited for it. And then we have, like, a 15-minute conversation when I could have just summed it up in 30 seconds.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, to be fair, um, it's kind of like when they do the morph sequence in episode one, and it is a 100% inspired by the movie morph sequence. But something that we didn't even really mention, you know, we said about the fact that they changed Tommy, but the lineup of this team is different from any other lineup that we'd seen anyway, because it has Rocky and Adam instead of Jason and Zack, but we still have Trini. Which mm-hmm. they never actually explain why we don't have Aisha. Later on they do give you a hint that Jason didn't just leave the team, he uh he died fighting heroically. But for other reasons, Zack is kind of back. You know, that's that's one of the things that we see not too long after this episode, I think, where Zack returns because, you know, episode two kind of ends on a on a downer, shall we say? <laughs> Mild, mild downer. Mild, uh, yeah. It's it's mildly sad. It's mildly sad. And also, Aaron, you were saying about how much you like the progression of the choreography. Well, Eric Fuchs, yeah. who plays the Red Ranger, he's the guy that does all of the choreography. So that's the guy that you wanna go and have a chat with. <laughs> yeah, for nice sure. Too.
0: Yeah, I didn't realize that I had followed him for so long on Instagram. Like, I like I went back yesterday and I was like, okay, let me find out who did the choreography. I see the credits on episode two. It's Eric Fuchs. I look him up on Instagram. I'm like, oh, I follow him. Oh, and I follow him, Worthy. Okay, cool. And um, and yeah. So I mean, obviously, like they're, they're stepping their game up. And uh, as and again, as the show still goes along, like as we hit three episodes, three, four, five, and ninja's Oath, like there's like a clear progression in like the craft and the camera work and the effects. And uh, it's really it's really great to see uh, that this show has ambition. Um, you guys are mentioning all the references it's been making up to this point. And I think that's really smart for a fan film to do is to have ambition and to show like, look, we know we're we know we're on a low budget, but we're still going to reference stuff. We're still going to take it seriously and we're not going to limit ourselves because who knows what can happen in the future. And so I really admire that about this show. Um, I know I've been talking a lot about the action, but I really had to bring up that the ambition of the storytelling here is is really like notable. And um, and, it, and it really it's really kept me in
1: um, when I was watching them all. Well, I think the thing is, there are so many references. Like, I'm I'm just looking through my own notes, and the fact that they essentially power the dimensional bracelet uh, by morphing and using the excess runoff energy. My brain went MMPR, or rpm 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 yes. Why do we
2: got this big huge fireball in
1: the background? That's the one.
2: Sorry, my my Scottish went to English. I I was being influenced because I'm Scottish. Hello.
1: Yeah, yeah. RPM. RPM is definitely where my brain went. But the other part of my brain, when they did a similar thing in Return of an Old Friend Part 2, where they have to bring back Zordon by bringing their coins together, and they basically do the same thing, but in a slightly different visual way of executing it. But they're not just, oh, here's a reference to a funny scene in RPM that everybody knows. Here's a reference to a pivotal scene in MMPR that gave us the Green Ranger back. This actually progresses the plot, and this is what works so well in Unworthy that I see so many other fan movies and proper productions not understand. It is laced with references, but the references progress the plot and move the story forward. It's not just going, hey, look, we know people like RPM, so let's reference it. It's going, this is the solution to the problem. By using a solution that a different series had, but we're going to use that to progress Mighty Morphin forward or whatever it is. And that is not the easiest thing to do. That, that takes a lot of skill as a storyteller. And it is, it is excellent storytelling when you can,
2: like you said, it's not just there for the fan service. It's there because it serves the plot. That is good writing. And I know Jordan over and over again. He, he always second guesses himself. In a good way. It's not like he has writer's block. He he wants to make it so it makes sense. That it's not just there for the sake of being there. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Um, I have nothing to add to this point. But I, I also, I, I just want to say before we move on from AJ, because AJ gets capped, unfortunately. Everyone should go watch our school dropouts. And I can't wait for your episode on with them. But yeah, everyone should check their work out. You know, now that AJ's gone and we're not going to be talking about her anymore. Yeah, just want to plug them real quick.
1: Oh, yeah, don't don't worry. Our school dropouts is going to be out very soon. And next month, you'll hear from Carmen Raman. So you'll hear from both of the groups that were involved in this. And it is my hope that I can get hold of someone from Deviant Children. So you're going to hear from everybody. And Jordan, who made this show, you might hear from him as well. So everybody's gonna get a chance to come out and, and talk about all this stuff because everybody did a really good job and independent filmmaking is such a difficult thing to do it's worth highlighting it when i can but as you say toby doesn't make it out of this episode and i actually really like the way it's done i'm not entirely convinced that it was supposed to be a lethal blow which again i might talk about at the end but the way that they shatter the helmet and the arbiter essentially steals Rocky Power Sword to dual wield his own corrupted power swords and then breaks her helmet. A it's a it's a it's a tradition as old as Power Rangers itself that when they go up against a tough villain, their helmet cracks, and you see the actor and their eye peeking out and realize how horrifically misaligned those vices are. But uh, You know, it's just one of those things, you've got to do it. You've got to do it. If you've got a really tough villain, the helmet must crack, it must be battle damaged, and it will instantly make the scene more epic. The fact that that didn't lead into Tommy, you know, digging deep and managing to hold the Arbiter off, but instead ends with the sword going through her, was kind of the unexpected moment. And I think that played to Power Rangers fans' expectations really well, because Typically speaking, Broken Helmet means we're about to see a badass moment, and we did, but it came from the Arbiter, not from Tommy, which I think took a lot of people by surprise. And the fact that so many people liked this version of Tommy just made everything that followed so much more effective, made it harder to watch, but it made it so much more effective emotionally that you might forgive the occasional imperfection in the filmmaking or the acting, because emotionally, you care, at least in my opinion. Oh, absolutely.
2: Um, if you guys know uh, Prawnhorn Heroes, Jem, he absolutely just finally watched Unworthy himself. And there. if you go onto his Twitter, um, there's tears. like, And, you know, Jem wears his heart on the sleeve for this franchise and, and everything Toku. Um, so to see him do it, it was, you know, it, it was awesome. I mean, I know my jaw hit, hit the floor uh, when I saw this, and even my wife was like, but they just introduced her, and I'm like, yeah. It's like, <laughs> yes, it, it, this this is the party we're in. Deal with it.
1: Yeah, I mean that is literally how it ends with really sad music of Tommy being impaled and Kim's power bow getting destroyed. I mean, it all builds up to something must happen, and that something is rather irritatingly the end credits rolling, and uh, you know, millions of people going, no. Nah! <laughs> When that episode first yeah. aired and there was nowhere else to go.
0: She she was already my favorite. AJ was already my favorite. So when they killed her off, the, the second episode we see her, or second part, I guess, I was kind of like, okay, all right. And, I mean, it's great. It's great, though, because, honestly, um, you know, she was a loss. But as we see later on, there's a lot of cool stuff that happens later. So I was actually very, like, pleased to see that, at least, that they didn't lose any type of, like, you know, with me with the action, I was like, oh, dude, we don't get to see a kick anymore. But no, no, we see later on that there's a lot more to come. And that's great. And like I said, they didn't limit themselves. They they really got ambitious in the next episode coming up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then even with the interlude, I thought it was great to have um, the Zach's return. Like, yeah, like almost like short, really great to have an interlude between the episodes and stuff. I I don't know whose idea that was, but that was really wise to do because it was just like kind of putting Holding people off until the next episode. And I thought that was really cool. Breadcrumbs, man.
2: Breadcrumbs. Just gotta, yeah. you know, give them a little yeah, flavor. Absolutely. Give them a little
0: taste. Yeah, those are really good. I
2: was going to say something else.
0: Um, I lost my train of thought though. So if it comes up later, I'll, I'll bring it
1: up. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just, just interject away. I really enjoyed the Zach episode. I like the fact that they basically made him like a Bruce Lee enthusiast and that they essentially passed on Thor's hammer logic to his power axe. I really enjoyed that. And I just really enjoyed seeing the character of Zack being the one to come back and use the broken morpher, because, you know, traditionally speaking, that is such a legendary episode, so legendary in fact, that the broken morpher is sitting right there. <laughs> and for those, in- nice. know,
2: it, it, for those of you who don't know, that is referencing Power Rangers in space where Carlos uh, went back to, you know, help out on Earth and, yeah, wow, what a great one, where Adam uh, morphed again. But Switching it to Zack.
1: Yes, yeah, always a chance. It's one of it's one of the best episodes, and I love it because it is literally just an episode that exists because Koichi Sakamoto said to Johnny Young "Could you come back?" And Johnny went, "No." And Koichi went, "Well, I'll give you a lot of really cool fights." Okay, and <laughs> that's literally all there was to it. And it's one of the best episodes, completely by accident. And that is Power Rangers distilled to its rawest, purest element in my mind. Let's do something
0: that's cool. <laughs> that's cool. Oh, that's what I wanted to say too. Is that like it's there's this cool like style he has to his fighting. Um, it, like he says, a Bruce Lee enthusiast with the attitude, but the style is different. Like he almost has like a Capoeira style where he's like he's
2: touching the ground, but he's like throwing kicks and stuff. So that's his. I I think that's a really good play. I'm not an action guy, but I am <laughs> a Power Ranger, and yes, I could see definitely the Capoeira. From you know down there from Brazil, but because Zach being so famous, having well uh, Walter inventing this hip hop keto, you know it they Ooh. still flow through. So what Zach used to do in the original show is he would move and dance just like Capuletta, but it had that you know I, I hate to say it, it was the '90s and there was you know he happened to be African American, and I'm just going to say and put it right out there, it's like oh let's let's go from hip hop culture and invent a martial arts style and just not have particular overtones that we look at it now 30 years later. Yeah. Oh that's really cool. Okay,
0: so Hip Hop Keto was Hip Hop Keto was a reference in in the Adi Shankar one. And yes. I didn't I thought it was just a I thought it was just like like a Billy Blanks reference, like a Tybo type of Taibo. thing. But, it, 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 was it
1: was both. Uh,
0: oh okay. Got it.
1: Yeah okay, so, that so, makes sense. so so Walter basically invented hip hop keto himself. Like they the, the, the oh. production people wanted something along those lines. But <laughs> They were very hands-off in that first season, so it was essentially a case of, like, what do you want to do? And Walter was like, I'll do this. Like, there, He has a video on a site called Fanwood that literally explains how he made hip-hop Kido be a thing, because he was a black belt karate guy himself, and he doesn't yeah. get enough credit, because I think partially because he's such a good dancer and his style is so unique, you remember Austin St. John, Jason David Frank being the two martial art guys that Walter kind of gets forgotten that he was a le- and still is a legitimate martial artist himself and was really good. Same thing goes for David Yost. He was a gymnast before he really started this. And you can yeah,
2: yeah. see it as he does his flips and stuff. Um, Just for a fun anecdote at Power Morphicon this year at the uh, party uh, that, that was, I think it was the Friday or Saturday night party that they had. And Walter, you know, they're. Honestly, almost decades apart in age, but Walter is still in such amazing shape, like he was going beat for beat, step for step, dancing with Rory. It was just amazing. It's like, okay, oh, yeah, hip hop keto still lives today.
0: That's a, that's a great play on words, by the way. Hip hop keto, I think mm-hmm. that's uh, incredible. I, I I'm geeking out because I I didn't realize that hip hop keto was really a thing back in the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. So like, that's actually really cool. Uh, and it makes sense now, given the Zach return episode. Now I understand where the capoeira reference comes from and and all that. It's really good. And um, uh, I also really like, again, Tom's point that the the middle ground, the last episode was a downer, but this episode was a lot more, this little mini short was like a lot more fun-ish, you know? I I just, I really like the balance they're striking here in these episodes.
1: Yes. And this mini episode also served another purpose, which is that whilst episode two ended with ominous foreshadowing of whether or not we were going to have a Green Ranger anymore, If you pay attention, especially when you watch it back, you can kind of tell that she's not the only one who's going to be walking out of this episode. And this episode also does a very good thing of future proofing the future because they already knew at this point that they needed a new Black Ranger because Guy, who had been playing Adam, was no longer involved by this point. So they were also basically giving a future retroactive way to bring Zack in when the storyline needed it without people going, where's this Zack just suddenly come from? because they already knew that they didn't have Adam anymore. Which is why, in Episode 3, we get Tommy's dying, and then we just get an offhanded, Adam's gone. Oh. No! <laughs> Which I still find <laughs> funny, the way that they do that. If I, if I have one complaint across these first three episodes, and it is only the first three, I really think Episode 4 and the Ninja episode completely fixes this. The ADR dialogue, when they go back and they do the voiceover, It could could have been a little bit better with their emotions. Um, I know it's not the easiest thing to do, but episode four, which we will get to in a minute, the people that do that episode nail their voiceover dialogue to the point that it's like genuinely some of the best screaming I've ever heard from Silver. And, you know, episode three, which is massive in scope and scale completely makes up for that early opening of, like, one-two punch of you've just lost two rangers by going insane, because this is the episode where we get introduced to the Chrono Ranger, which, again, is an entirely original ranger created for the show. But also, kind of... I remember at the time, it caused a bit of, like, confusion, because some people saw that and thought it was from Hyperforce, because they had a Silver Ranger as well that was linked to Time Force So a lot of people were like, wait, is this supposed to be that character? It's like, oh, no, 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 this is our Silver Ranger from Time Force turned Chrono Ranger. So I, I thought that was amusing. And they also retroactively fixed that in Episode
2: 4 as well, um, because his uh, codename was Silver 2. Yes. So, and they did mention Joe Shi, so, I mean, it was, it was a little bit of a, a good, it was nice to be able to, it's like, Yep. We're still, we're, we're still pulling from everything, but at the same time, we're going to keep it
1: ours. And they really did find a great balance, but we're on episode three now. Yes. Which, yes. uh, another reason why this one took so long, because I don't know if Aaron knows this, um, is because this one was, you know, a lot of these were basically funded by the fans and episode three and episode four. And I think episode five that's coming out had a lot of like crowdfunding support. I'm writing that, aren't I? Yes I am. Tom's yes. nodding. Um so that's one of the other reasons why there was such a gap between these episodes. So uh I suspect that you have a lot of opinions about this one, so feel free to start us off, Tom. Uh episode three, uh it's just boom. Uh you know, we can we can
2: start this and keep going uh with the story because of you know we're just going right into it. And then introducing the Chrono Ranger was just such a great idea. an original a semi-original, you know, taking—because I think, I don't know, they knew that Hyperforce was doing the silver when they started production versus, um, you know, versus Hyperforce. But the idea to come up with the Silver Ranger was just so smart, and he looked so different, of which that—we get that backstory in Episode 4. But this is where everything really started to come together. Now, Aaron had mentioned before Bloodline of the Grid you know episode 3 is so good because we finally get the arbiter's backstory and this is where we get fan service a go go right <laughs> if you do not know about these things like if, if you're just a a surface level uh power ranger fan it's great but if you're on the the level of dude i like this i like that i make my own i i follow these creators i follow these content creators i make my own ranger stuff i do this i do that i, I you know we finally get to see a Tyranno Ranger, or King Tyranno, depending on how many. Yeah, yeah, King Tyranno, which is, you know, the good guy version of another universe of Jason combining his Gold Ranger powers and his uh, and his Red Ranger powers, which is just so pretty. And we've seen that, honestly, because I might have a decade on you guys because <laughs> I, I'm an elder millennial. Uh, (laughs) so I've been seeing that King Tyranno Ranger probably for 20 years, at least, you know, in various fan pages on Ranger board, like starting back in, uh, the the nineties and to finally see it in physical form was awesome. Um, as you see the Arbiter going through all these different dimensions and whatnot, you even get a reference to the Bloodline guys over at, uh, NerdBot. Because when you see Sam, that was ADR voiced by Colin, who plays, uh, who's in that series. Um, so I was like, dude, as, as soon as I saw it, I messaged Jordan. I'm like, dude, that's freaking awesome. And I'm, <laughs> I was like, yeah, that was cool. They reached out to us. Uh, it, it, it was just so much all over the place. And it, it was it was just great. Like, But it, again, it also served the story you know, and that's the big thing that I've been saying that they've they've been doing so well. Oh, who's in um in episode three, uh
0: okay. the one of the Red Rangers is fighting the 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 white ish one. Who who is that?
2: The white ish one, the guy who has the little uh brace morpher on his arm? Like this? I think so.
0: Oh yes, and he has like the little horn kind of in, on his helmet,
2: right? Oh no, that's that's that's. Hold on, I'm going through it right now again. Oh, this guy, um, who who's this guy? Draken. That's Draken. That is Draken, Draken Evo three. So that so obviously he had jumped to another universe. Uh, Arbiter jumped to another universe because Draken before. So this is like Draken version one, where it was just the Green Ranger and the White Ranger powers together. In the is that in the first episode of Unworthy or is that a different Draken? This is this would be the first episode I believe. But as okay. the story progressed in the comic books, Draken would absorb different powers and his suit would change accordingly. By the oh, time you dope. get to the, the fi- his final evolution, it's like an all black suit. Um, I believe that version that you're talking about, the one with the claws, is Draco Draken Evil Three. He had absorbed five different rangers, and the most recent at that point. Would have been Samurai Blue. Whoa! Yes.
0: And, and and that's who he's fighting in this episode three. Then,
2: yeah, right.
1: That's yeah. Cool. Um, trying to explain dragon in this is the least helpful thing on the planet because there's three. <laughs> there's three different Drakens. There's the dragon in the very first episode that dies. There's this mm. dragon that you've just talked about, but in the same episode, there's another draken done up as in his version one costume but it's a it's a very good cosplay i'm pretty sure it's an an anarchy cosplay but um yeah they do multiple drakens which actually is one of my only real complaints is that draken like the arbiter is supposed to be a one and done he's not supposed to have any other time variations but i don't care but it's fine but it is one thing that's sort of like oh i thought there could only be one draken Yeah, I'm
2: I'm just going through on here and I mean I'm I'm just looking at all the different references like we even have a reverse idea that it's uh it's a dragon it's a dragon sword ranger but he's a white light powered one and it, it looks to be like a good guy as opposed to dragon um and then you know referencing other things in the in the mythos or in the fandom um that, that's why I said Mythos. You'll see that a Green Ranger goes down, and if you guys don't know, that is Chris Cantata. Yeah. Um, with his original series Mythos, uh, that that's his uh, personal design Ranger. Um, they they just it's just balls to the wall. I mean, we we get Tyranno Ranger, we get Ninja Storm, two different Ninja Storms. We get a, a it's it so much, and the fact that the Arbiter himself. That I like that it's, I don't know if this was just a coloring thing, uh, because of whatever filter they might have used, but I like that the Arbiter is like this for me, or at least how it shows up on my screens is an orangish red as opposed to a straight red red. I don't know if it was just the sun that day or whatnot. So it was a nice part of the working grid, but at the same time, we still want to keep it a little bit original. Um, I mean, I really could just break down every single Fight here and, and suit that you see, you know, we even get ninjor which again gets referenced back to, you know, he gets his own mini episode. There's Gold Zeo. There's again the multiple Drakens. It's just a whole bunch of just, it makes sense. It's all tied together. And then getting the Arbiter's backstory of being the first ranger and, you know,
1: it, it just, it was just it was smart writing. It's all it is. It's always smart writing. It It is as well, because it ties itself neatly all the way back to Shattered Dimensions. It It's yet another ripple effect of that horrifically, you know, reality-breaking event. I mean, you even said about when Draken becomes all black and looks like a supervillain because he has a cape and the red jewel in his chest and he's black and gold. But he literally warps reality and completely changes it. You know, at the very end of that storyline, they say, we can... Kind of restore the world, but it's not going to be able to be put back to how it was. There's going to be cracks. There's going to be changes and ramifications that we won't be able to predict. And I love the idea that the Arbiter essentially not following his set path of being a hero, dying a hero, is now one of them. There's one version of the Arbiter out there that went, yeah, everything is screwed and it's kind of everybody else's fault that has powers. So I'm going to fix that. It's 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 a really cool idea and you get, you know, this introduced to Zordon and Alpha and Zordon's the epic voice guy and then it's Zordon's ashes that turn the Arbiter from red to black. I you know, it's it's so good. <laughs> and here here's another
2: cool thing, if if you guys haven't been reading the comics or whatnot, it's the same kind of idea. It, it's yes, you could pull that whole idea of the Zordon's ashes from, say, Kratos from the God of War series. Now mm. he has the pale skin. Um, you could also flip it to what, you know, did this inspire something else? But, cause in the Power Rangers spin or Power Rangers universe limited run, um, same deal happened with Phantom Ranger. That's, there's a reason why he's black now as opposed to what he was the Morphinot in the beginning of that series. Um, yeah, that, that happened because he was overtaken by some sort of evil force and that's why the Phantom Ranger is black.
1: Yeah. I, I also love the fact cause so many people um i remember commented on it on the time that the first monster the arbiter fights is a flesh and blood wolf spain which mm-hmm. is you know was from power rangers zeo but in that he was a machine i love the idea that 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 some of the designs of the empire might have been built on actual existing mythological monsters because that's not something that ever gets kind of addressed but the, again it's just little subtle things that can get the brain going and and you invent all these things yourself and give yourself headcanon And then it's, it's there, man. They've got you. It's like you're, you're now inventing your own canon to this non canon universe. And that shows that it's worked. So I kind of obviously missed some of the conversation that. So Aaron, you said that one of your friends worked on this. I came in at the end of that. What, which character was he playing?
0: Oh, uh, the bloodline, the grid. Yeah. Um, so John Tieng played, I forgot his, I forgot his character's name, but he's in the most recent episode and, uh, he is like, He's in this like almost like blackish trench coat. Um, hold on, real quick. On, let me see. Um, I'll, I'll show you. Have you seen Bloodline on the Grid"? You've, you've seen. It, right? uh, I
1: have, but uh, I don't. I, I'm not sure if I've seen the most recent episode, depending on when it came out. Uh, I know Blood that would they're have been episode out. two.
2: Black guy in a trench coat. Oh, or kind of uh, like he, he's with the Silver Guardians. He's uh, the new. Right. Um, oh, my- <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. my buddy. He's working with um Z- with uh Nemo's character Zane uh the Silver Centurion or whatever the heck his upgraded name is. He's supposed yeah. to I believe he's a reference to Lightspeed. Yeah, If you look at his suit. I think so.
1: Yeah. Um,
0: I, it's very, yeah, it's very difficult for me to remember the names of the characters and all that, but um, we got to I got to hang out with him um and Colin and uh, DJ Rivers. Last year at, um, at a convention here in my town, uh, Riverside, at an anime convention. And they got to premiere their like second episode or the, the most recent episode that's out now. They got to premiere it last year over there at the convention. So uh, that's how I got to meet Colin. Um, I also met uh, a couple other people like Brendan Mejia and a couple other Rangers. Um, so yeah,
2: um, I'm a super getting- nice guy
0: my my foot's in the door of this of this uh power rangers lore and it's so cool hearing you guys like talk about it because i I, i'm getting lost but i'm also like oh no no okay all right like i'm I'm trying to like keep track here there's a lot of it was
1: really cool actually well I, i think episode three very much was you know they brought in cosplayers they brought in other fan film productions they brought in other groups that people knew um the fact that they were able to do that and the fact that so many people wanted to really did feel like the fandom coming together. I mean, you know, at the very end of the episode, past the credits, you essentially get a montage of who was who in that sequence where they were all attacked and killed. And I love the fact that they made it look like Mighty Morphin Power Ranger season two opening where they have the turn to the camera and smile and then it changes into the ranger costume. But it it, it was a really nice way of showing who these people were, what they were playing. They gave everybody their own Earth number. And it it was just, like I said at the very beginning, this felt like everybody came together to try and make it better rather than just pointing out the flaws, the weaknesses, and trying to tear it down, which is what sometimes I feel like this fandom is a little bit guilty of when it comes to Power Rangers. We just like to point at everything that it does wrong rather than ever give it credit when it does something right. But with this, everybody did come together and just basically went, this looks amazing. I mean, that whole sequence that you guys were talking about, where you get all these different ranges, I mean, that would have been impossible to film had some people not essentially filmed their own footage and sent it in. Because, like, you know, Chris isn't, he's in the Philippines. So there was no way that they were going to be able to do that any other way. So... It just goes to show how much people respected this production and wanted to help it out and make it feel more epic.
0: Yeah, I was gonna ask about that too because one of the cool things about part three or episode three was like how every single fight scene felt like it was in a different world. And I was gonna ask you guys like if you guys knew whether or not they all shot separately. And it seems like they did, and that's actually that actually helps with like the world building and like making you feel like okay, this is definitely their their you know their earth you know type of thing. I really admired that and I was going to be more impressed if they all shot it together. Uh, I don't know. That was going to, that was tripping me off for a second. I was like, these, these are such different geographical locations. I was like, this is really,
2: oh, it, yeah, really it would have been a logistical nightmare. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. I think the simplest way to put it is if you can see the Arbiter costume, they filmed it. If you can't see the Arbiter costume, they didn't. Um, you it, know, they, they filmed it in. Yeah. There's there's a lot of shots of them just doing poses or falling over and there's no actual like battle directly where you can see the Arbiter in shot. I mean, it's great. It works perfectly. But yeah, it would have been a nightmare. So either way, it's all good, though. I, I, I really like what they were able to do. And the funny thing is, as cool as that is, that could have just been the entire episode. And I think a lot of people would have been happy. But that's not the entire episode because the back half of the episode we get acting and emotions and a lot of sadness to deal with and the fallout Heavy of acting. what happened at the end of episode two. And the backstory of the Arbiter really doesn't distract from that because it just kind of shows you how how stacked against them the odds actually were. You know, when you're seeing the first couple of episodes, you're kind of with the Rangers. It's like, yeah, he's strong, but eventually they'll overcome it. And then you see the backstory. It's like, yeah, no, he's He's literally killed everybody he's ever stood up against. And some of them were Titans and original Rangers and Ninja. And he killed Zordon in one version of reality. And, you know, realizing how much experience he has of actually hunting and killing Rangers, you're sort of left to realize they stood no chance. Like, he wasn't even taking this threat seriously. And the fact that they then have to deal with that, get advice from the Chrono Ranger, and try and be there for each other, some of those scenes are, are some of the best in the show. You know, everybody has to try and deal with one aspect of this fight that they feel guilt over, and that's that's worth showing, in my opinion.
2: Yeah, it's, it's fantastic the way that, you know, just because we have the four Rangers, and then obviously adding Chrono, and how they had separated out, and you weren't getting this big whole group thing where they had to Oh, we all have to talk together, you know, that, and they weren't talking over each other that you got the Kim and, and Rocky, you know, the, the kata that they were doing and trying to get back to themselves and how Trini was there to help Billy, um, which I've always loved that in, in, in back in the day. And, you know, wish they would have followed through with that in actual Mighty Morphin to see a little bit of a story yes. between them. But we obviously know who got, you know, the major cred and then left with a letter. Um, It it was a nice way to, to pay that off. And it's, yeah, it's all the emotion that was there had set is now setting us up for what's coming down the road. Um, and then the best part about it is that, yes, we get all this whole build up and we now see the Terra Dragon Ranger at the end of the episode. And then we go to episode four and it's
1: nothing about the unworthy team. (laughs) well before we before we do go to episode four and i will say that 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 pink ranger costume that's a mixture of green and pink looks fantastic but there is one one particular thing that i really like that they addressed is this is the first time we get an acknowledgement about what happened to jason you know this team defeated lord zed and they tell you that earlier but they, you know, they don't go into it. This one, Rocky says that Jason sacrificed his life to save the team when they defeated Lord Zed. And I like the storyline that Rocky doesn't feel like he matches up to Jason because that is also something that Mighty Morphin kind of hinted at, but never really did anything with. And then it came full circle around in Zeo when Jason came back. But again, they just tried to deal with it in a single episode as they did with pretty much everything. It was like, yeah, we're going to kind of have a storyline, but not really, of Rocky feeling inferior. I like the fact that this show dealt with it more realistically. It's like, of course you're going to feel like you're not as good as your predecessor. Of course, Rocky is going to have difficulties with confidence and believing in himself, because he kind of always did. He was never the leader in Mighty Morphin. So the fact that they basically gave him a storyline to say, this time, you're going to be Rocky the leader, not just Rocky the tertiary Red Ranger that comes in to be someone else's substitute. I think that's a really good storyline, because unlike Kim's storyline and Billy and Trini's storyline, I think everybody at some point in their life has felt like a Rocky, and this is kind of going, you don't have to be. You, you, you might be that guy for a bit, but you can change. Like You can be worthy of leadership, to use their exact terminology for the power sword. Off of that too, uh,
2: in an interview that I had with Steve Cardenas uh, a few years ago, we talked about that as well. Um, to the point that he was talking with Ryan Parrott, and they they've tried to flesh out Rocky a little bit more in the comics. Yeah. And then more recently, up until I think it was just a few issues before number one hundred, Rocky got his time to shine. It was just him and I believe one of the other Rangers, uh, Matt, the new Green Ranger in the comics where that was his issue, to like, I'm here, I'm doing this, I am saving the Earth, I am not a secondary guy. It, it's, it really
1: was a backbone issue, as far as I'm concerned. No, I agree. Um, I, I I keep up to date with the comics, but I don't read them as much as I used to, not because I don't enjoy them, but just because of time and money. But I am happy that Rocky, well, all of the characters really get time to shine in the comic books. Like That is one of the best aspects of the comics, and I'm glad that a lot of that feedback from the comics fed into this show and i'm glad that this show kind of fed back into official productions and other comic books you know it's it's been a nice little loop (laughs) yeah now there wasn't
2: a lot of action per se in this with the exception of the few arbiter fights and the few rangers falling but how did you like the kata and everything just just the the peacefulness that you saw that you know trying to get back to it so
0: um yeah i actually did want to bring that up because eric fuchs i don't know what his background is if his background is in like uh any type of karate um but when i saw the kata i was like that is a form that is that looks like a real form and it was like you said very peaceful very well choreographed and it might be something that like um a karate practitioner might actually have done in their like learning system so i thought that was really cool and um it adds like a little bit of like Again, I like I like when people implement katas into like a progression of yourself, because right now they're trying to get back their piece or they're really broken down. But to do a kata to kind of bring your morale back up almost like I think that was really smart to do, because as a martial artist, you kind of do a kata to like not only refine your technique, but also to kind of bring yourself back down if you're feeling kind of stressed out or anything. Um, So I thought that was really cool. And I feel like I wasn't giving I feel like I hadn't geeked out enough at the fights in this episode that do show up because arbiter fights are fantastic. In the effects they use um i am sorry if I, I can't name the rangers but there's like a yellow and a blue ranger and they're like speeding they're, they're like yep. speedsters almost and they're like really kicking the arbor's ass for a second and it was like really cool to have this variation between that because obviously we love martial i love martial arts i love to see that but if i can see like some cool effects work mixed in I, i'm gonna like help you really, out I, here um yes those, just, those just,
1: two rangers in particular they're ninja storm navy thunder and alien ranger yellow ignore the fact Mm. that they're alien ranger because they're both essentially ninja rangers um they're japanese they're japanese counterparts for both ninja teams so that's why you had that those speed effects the fact that it's in the forest like they were supposed to be channeling those sorts of ninja stereotypes essentially is what those two teams have always represented got it
0: and eric fuchs is really good at at choreography you know choreographing stuff that isn't just karate based either because it seems like he just is mixing all these different styles together really really well so uh, i gotta applaud him on his ability to kind of uh choreograph according to the characters um kind of what i mentioned earlier like you see like in the first episode there's different styles for every character And this and this one it's really hard to like Hmm. to do that on a consistent basis and to really mix it up so for him to do that is um quite impressive and shows a lot of dedication
1: well as well the the I was going to say the guy, but it actually changes. But the first suit actor, which is James Michael Robinson the third, he portrays Arbiter amazingly. I have no idea how he can move the way he moves in that suit <laughs> because I imagine his visibility is terrible. Um, yeah. you know, j- the, the visibility in most Power Ranger costumes is bad, which is why they mi- change the visors to give them bigger peripheral vision mm. but the arbiter's is the other way around i mean he has like a slit he's like a cylon practically right uh so i i have no idea how he's able to do that i don't know if there's like little cuts that you can't see so he can see out easier but yeah i agree with you doing the arbiter whether he's in red or in black it, he always comes across as this massive bulk of a human but can move like someone half his size which considering he's in a Big, full heavy cosplay and he probably has reduced visibility that guy's got skills it does change uh in episode four for some reason both the stunt actor and the voice of arbiter change episode four onwards i don't know why i don't know if he just wasn't available but um. second person is just as good you know you wouldn't yeah. know you wouldn't
0: know matter of fact uh, i was gonna say that episode three for sure i mean like there's a progression in the way he can move in the suit for some reason like in the first two i kind of noticed that there's a little bit of like a uh you know it's kind of stiff a little bit not to his fault it seems like the, the suit itself was harder moving, but it seems like he got the hang of it by episode three and then uh episode four and five happened and uh, and you're like damn this dude is like moving even better it's 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 pretty cool that along with the progression of the production value you also see progression in the performers as well that they're getting the hang of it. And they're just like, every time they come in to do these episodes, they're like, Oh yeah, we're much better than they
2: were last time. And it's, uh, it's cool to see that. It probably goes to the fact, like episode one is don't break the suit. Yes. By episode three, we can replace a piece.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. A hundred percent. And the other thing as well is like both of you guys mentioned the kata from a story point of view. It's the same Carter that you see Kim and Tommy doing in episode two when they have their little flashbacks through romance. So I always read it as Rocky is essentially coming in to remind Kim that if Tommy was there, this is what you'd be doing and you need to calm down, which I like because that is kind of Rocky stepping up to the plate and going, I'm going to kind of come in now and be more of a leader, which I wouldn't normally do. I'm going to help you and you're going to help me. And they kind of essentially both then embrace the new roles that they're going to have.
2: I like it. Yeah, spot on. Spot on.
1: That's episode three. And as Tom set us up a little bit ago, episode four is a massive tease because it doesn't actually follow on at all from episode three. It goes, let's have more backstory. And the really surprising thing is, I don't care because it's some of the best of all of the episodes by far. Yeah.
2: It's really good. I love. I love episode four. As I was doing my rewatch, doing my homework for this, my wife watched it with me, and she's playing on her Switch last night, and she's like, "Oh, well, there's this guy, and, and wait, there's that guy, and wait, 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 that's not a and, and and like she just put it down and was just in, and she's she's not familiar with Time Force at all. Just the only few things like, baby, you need to watch this, baby, you need to read th- read this. But as soon as we mentioned other characters from other shows that she was familiar with, and the good writing, it just sucked her right in.
1: Yeah, no, I, you know, it's a very bold move to have your fourth episode of your fan made project basically do away with your entire cast and introduce new characters for the entire run. Um, and yet I don't think I've seen any hate for episode four. Everybody loves it, and. Time Force being one of the most popular seasons probably doesn't hurt, but also it's a connection back to Zeo, like bringing the Machine Empire back. But again, they bring the Machine Empire back through Vengix, and Vengix has such a long history with Power Rangers, whether he's Vengix or Evox or Legion, whether or not you want to argue that he started in RPM, or if you want to argue that he started all the way back in Wild Force as the general of the Machine Empire. Oh, wait that force that he's just brought back, so I, I, I saw exactly what they were doing there with that, and I love them for it. Yeah, it it was just
2: super smart, super smooth, and again, you know, we're talking about the production value, this ramped up again, I mean, they, they not only had the chrono suit, right, but they introduced the gold suit, they introduced uh, this Venjix suit, and then obviously Venjix, which we'll get to in the story, he morphs as well, so... It was just so good. And they really pretty much did everything in 90% of it in one room alone. So I mean, it's like, hey, we're saving on it here. Let's see what we can do within the the four walls that we have.
0: Yeah, I I noticed that as well.
1: I also have to say that the silver suit. Is slightly different to the chrono suit and i appreciate that like silver 2 does not look exactly the same as the chrono ranger that we've been introduced to up until that point so mm-hmm. it really hammers in the fact that you're looking at a flashback and we get a little cameo from jen scott's we get one from wes collins and timeline aside of why they're all in the same place i'd love it and the fact that they're fighting off the machine empire it's like i want to see this episode like Someone take me to this version where the Arbiter doesn't come in and mess this up, because I want to know what's happening there. But we do get new foot soldiers, we get cogs, and they're 2.0 cogs, they've been upgraded. Um, and I love, I love how hard the stunt guys go in those cogs. I mean, they backflip into the warehouse like the best of them. I mean, they get chucked around so much in this episode. Um, I love how many little references, like we said before we started recording, they do Dalek references with their Exterminate line, they do Borg references, because they're trying to assimilate everything, and I also love that the power swords that they use look like a blend between the 2017 power sword, but also they look like bladed putties, because they've shortened the blade, so they look exactly like season one putties did, and I, again, Any other production, I'd say, was a coincidence, but I'm willing to bet that it wasn't. Like, they've deliberately done that to evoke the image of the putties, but giving the people that know the 2017 film another reference to point at and go, they did the thing. They did the thing, man. (laughs) 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 And as you guys said, Legion looks fantastic. I mean, it's one of their best suits. I mean, I I genuinely think that the, the costume department needs a raise, because Arbiter looked amazing, Red Arbiter looked amazing, all of the, well, most of the suits throughout the episode 3, their Rangers looked great, and but the, the, the mechanical look for the Legion suit is just another level to me. I mean, the detailing work on the face, the LEDs and the eyes, the chest and the armor, the fact that it is quite clearly a onesie suit, like a lot of them are, but then they've put tons of detailed pieces on top of it. I mean, if I saw that thing walking around at a convention, I would I would be beyond impressed. I mean, I've seen some pretty good robot-type suits in person, and that's one of, probably up there with the best of them. And the fact that it has moving parts as well is, is no mean feat. My only gripe about all the suits is that they took a
2: perfectly fine Mega Man Mega Buster and changed it for the uh Vengeance yes. Ranger suit. They painted yes. it. That's my only gripe. I'm I'm a huge Mega Man person, so the best me. <laughs> so um
0: the the phone you're mentioning with like like the movie parts like is it the one with the mouth right where yes. it closes on yeah. the mask. Dude, that was so cool. I was like holy shit. Because at first he looked like Megatron from uh Transformers of Last Night. I don't know if you guys remember yeah the yeah the Megatron like reminded me of that and I was like oh that's cool it's like it's like a ninja version of that and then like he closes it like, Oh shit, like, it's really cool how, like, they, uh, they stepped it up with the costume department. They need a raise,
1: like you said. Well, the, the thing as well is they, they then introduced Gold One, which was fantastic because she's, you know, she's the daughter of the Time Force Yellow Ranger. She has, she nails that, you know, the actress just nailed being Katie's daughter. Like, I don't struggle to believe that in the slightest. Um, but the chemistry between gold and silver just works for me. Like those two, I don't know if they were cast together, if they'd worked together previously or what, but those two, I just instantly believe that they've been friends stroke partners for many, many years. And mm-hmm. the fight that they have with Legion and the little bit of backstory he gives, whether he's Legion or he's Evox or he's Vengex, blah, 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 that's great. Feels like an episode of Time Force. And then to top it all off, you get, a guitar Time Force riff as she lays the smack down on him. And it, I defy anybody to watch that bit and not just be sat there with your arms in the air going, yes! <laughs> but, because this is unworthy, that also wasn't the end. And then Legion gets up and says it's morphing time and turns into the Vengex Ranger or the Machine Ranger or whatever his actual official name is. But I got, Ranger. Sorry? Vengex Ranger. It is, it is Vengex Ranger. But I gotta say, the actual visual design of when he's morphed, although he has less mechanical parts on his chest, I love the fact that he looks like a cross between a Mighty Morphin Ranger, because he has the buckle, he has the white diamond, his head and his shoulder pads look like a common Rider, and the rest of him looks like a Gyver. The fact that they Ooh. meshed all that together works perfectly for me. But it goes further than that, because this is where I think Aaron's dying to say this himself, so I'll Mm -hmm. let him in a minute. But all of his choreography feels like Scott Adkins is in that suit, and he's doing the Guyver kick, he's doing Kamen Rider kicks, he is zipping around like any of the Guyver films, and I think that was such a smart decision to give Toku fans so many more references that are outside of the Power Rangers spectrum. Yeah, dude. Um he he's also assisted
0: really well with like good camera work as well cuz the yellow ranger does a, a spinning hook kick and he dodges it but the camera follows him as yeah. he dodges it so it was like this cool movement and and like you said like he does like a um he does like a double kick where like he goes in the air and he and he hits the green the silver ranger and the yellow ranger both with the same with the same foot so he goes bop bop from left to right and um it's really impressive and i'm like uh, I was geeking out every time I was seeing this guy move. Cause like you said, it was like Scott Atkins in this suit or something, because um I, I'm not quite sure which stunt performer was in this suit, but they were absolutely crushing it. And like you said, it was smart to design it in this guy for way with like, like the bottom half or, you know, almost like a might power ranger with the bottom half. And then the top half being heavy, because he's just going to throw a lot of cool punches, but he really needs that bottom half to be open for the kicks. And they do a good job of like designing it to his strengths. And, um, and like it it's it's really it's really well done. And uh the choreography is fast paced, it's really good. He does like a backflip, uh flash kick, almost like Guile from Street Fighter. And um and it's it's also like physically impressive. Like they really they really stepped it up here. And I, I don't know if Fukes um uh, choreographed this as well, but again, there's just an, another progression. I feel like this whole series is about is like the underlying theme is progression and it's cool to see like this be like almost like i don't know how they're going to top this in my opinion because and I, I it's really impressive to me and uh, i feel like i'm geeking out too much but yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> so the 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 stunt guy it, i'm not entirely sure how to pronounce his first name so i apologize if i get this wrong but it i believe it is wadi sky jones and um he is a sag card carrying member of the stunt guild so you may meet him one day who knows, but. Yeah, he was fantastic inside that costume. I'm I'm blown away by the creativity that went into designing him. Again, he was an entirely original creation by Unworthy. But much like we've said in the previous episodes, he was also a topical one, because Beast Morphers, which I think was still airing at the time this was made, no, it wouldn't have been, it would have finished by then, but it was still one of the most recent ones. It reintroduced Evox, which turned out to be Vengex, so the fact that they then kept that going in unworthy and made it so that people that were watching the show still and it's like ah ah i know this because this has just been in the show but it ties all the way back to older seasons it's so smart from a storytelling point of view
2: and the morphing sequence itself uh is a dark twisted version of the beast morpher sequence as well with the big huge cyclone we didn't see a particular animal or whatnot it would have been but I know that to do that type of uh, editing would just been long and arduous. But to do the Dark Cyclone as he's morphing was a great call to the fact that they, he is using Beast Morph for technology.
1: Yeah, because it, it directly follows on from the, the sort of cliffhanger of, is the virus still in the Ranger Tech? Because that's how he survived previously. And it's it's such a great, like, yes, he did. And this is what's going to happen in a version of the future brilliant you know uh, did you yeah. want to add something then, Aaron? sorry
0: no no yeah just, just more to the guy's performance i mean um he also does like a it's called a b-twist where like like you're kind of like spinning it's kind of like like, like you're spinning and like your 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 body is like horizontal and you're spinning in the air and it does, it does like a 360 anyways he does that in the suit and i just want to say like i want to compliment that because he's very top heavy uh with the suit so i mean if you're doing a b-twist anyone who, who knows a b-twist is that like it's very easy to fall on the ground because mm-hmm. if if is it's hard to know where you're going mid flip. So for him to kind of pull that off in that suit, because it because I it's like full frame. It's not it's not cutting anything. Like he's doing it, and uh, for him to kind of land that is like super super impressive. And um and the the one thing that has in this fight that um was kind of lacking in the others, but still were great is pacing. There was a lot of cool like movements where it's like you know, the, uh, the Silver Ranger's throwing like a, a, like three punches and he's like doing like three blocks. All right. And then we have like a cool, like flash kick moment. Okay, great. Now we're back to like quick movements. Okay, cool. Character moment here. You know, it's, it's really paced well. And I think that's what makes this scene so great is that there's character work in between the fight. And when it's fast, it's fast. And then when it goes a little slow it needs it for the dialogue, I think it's really, um, it's hard. I don't want to go too hyperbolic, but it's masterfully done in my opinion.
1: No, I I agree, and also just just more because I was trying to uh, remember a name. I have just noticed something that has just made me chuckle. So the the new arbiter, who is the arbiter in episode four and in Ninja, is called Gary Mattis. But James Robinson the third, the old arbiter, is one of the cogs. So he was there. So I, I they must have just decided that uh, Gary can do something differently. I I don't know, but I didn't realise they were both in this. So that's actually quite amusing. But um. No, I agree with you in terms of how it was edited and it and the fact that they lean into the exaggerated power movements that you can do because it's power rangers and not just martial artists. And then that leads into the one of the coolest sequences from Eddie Ranger's finishing move, which is the Chrono Strike. And the way that they edited that and the visual effects of the clock, it's just that's it. Was
2: you know. page for page right out of the episode, like they just cut and pasted it right in.
1: It was so good. It, yeah, uh, <laughs> <laughs> is is that your your critical opinion? It was <laughs> yes.
2: It, uh, every every single uh, onomatopoeia that you can find is in my dictionary.
1: Links in the, in the comments below. I don't know, <laughs> but yeah, no that that is one of the coolest moments, and they defeat Venjix. Uh, the only thing. The only thing that I genuinely dislike about the entire aspect is when they pull out the Time Force badge and it plays the sound and it's about 20 decibels too high compared to the rest of the scene. And uh, that's my only complaint. Um, it doesn't take me out of it too much. But yeah, when he, when Vengex is in the middle of talking and he pulls the badge out and I'm like, ah, my ears! <laughs> uh, what I liked
2: after they took out Vengex is how we got the gold and silver backstory. Yes, and their civilian suits are are I love those jackets. I could rock one of those jackets any given day of the week. I would be happy to wear that as my own civilian jacket in real life. Also, when they're doing talking about Silver 2's background, uh, can we say it? I mean, he's from Illinois. He's yeah. he, It's like we're not getting a common rider reference, even though they're doing everything token. We got a mass rider reference. Yep. I swear to God, if, if at some point, I'm just going to put this out here into, into the internet, into, into the universe. I want a Furbus reference. Someone oh, give me a Furbus reference and, and that's it. I'm done. I will quit doing Rangerdom at, for all time. Um, I'm bet that's it. But the fact to make him from Ignoy was a great, great thing. You know, we got to see his jewel in his head, uh, you know, it, it really just did it did it right, and then to see how Silver's progression of of how he got that particular accoutrement on his, as his arm um, was just again, like I said, I had my wife sitting there as I was doing my rewatch, and she went, "Wait, they did that? That's freaking cool!" Yeah, you know. And my wife is a topical ranger fan, like she knows Disney. She's Disney era, one hundred percent. So, they're like, oh, wow, that's really cool. I like that. When's the next episode? <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, I I agree. I, I genuinely think, like, I even wrote this in my notes, that the demorphed acting in this episode is the best in, in the whole show. Silver and gold work. And I, I credits to the actors. I mean, I could just sit there and listen to those two give each other shit happily. And just hearing about their story, how they came to be, actually seeing the flashbacks, like you said, we get to see that he's from Edenoi, which is such a deep cut reference that I bet went over so many people's heads. I mean, you don't willingly remind people that Mast Rider exists, unless you want a Furbus reference, apparently, then you might. But uh, most people, I think, are happy to not remind people. I mean... I'm half expecting in the next episode to get a Beetleborgs reference since they love the Machine Empire so much. That would just complete the forever red, you know, circle of life, but uh, I uh, you know, I couldn't I couldn't give this one enough praise and the fact that they managed to fill in all that exposition about themselves just in time for the arbiter to show up and ruin everybody's day. I think in another production, it would have felt too rushed or too amateurish, but somehow they make it work. And I think that goes to show how much they've grown from where they started in episode one. One thing I did like is in the backstory, how
2: you saw in the previous fight against the Cogs and the Legion, when they were doing the blaster effect, or going over each other's shoulders, you saw them training that in their montage. You know, I I like seeing when you have that type of, hey, we have... This flow, this dynamic, like silver and gold here really do feel like maybe they're not necessarily part of the main ranger team, that they're kind of like their own little spec ops group, their own little dynamic duo as it is. So it's really nice to see that, you know, not every ranger has to be all on top of each other either.
1: It also helps as well because the civilian jackets feel like a cross between Time Force and SPD. And that whole training sequence feels like it was taken from the SPD episode where we see some of their training sequences, which mm-hmm. again I'm sure was not by accident. But the fact that, because you know, the debate of whether or not time forces an evolution of SPD will probably rage to the end of time. But the fact that we saw this sort of union of those two organizations, I thought was a nice touch.
0: Uh, just want to give credit to Jordan Barnett's directing because I know I know we're talking about the acting, we're talking about everything, um, everything even like with the costume design and stuff and. I got to give credit to Jordan for like, I think he's, I think he was really learning throughout like these past few episodes, like what was working, what wasn't working, how to get better performances out of your actors. And I think uh, working with a fresh set, uh, I think it was easy for him to be like, okay, cool. What, what, what worked with the, with the main crew? And what can I kind of change? And I think that's what he's doing here. And um, obviously Jordan is like the creative guy throughout this whole series. So for him to kind of take over the directing from Nicholas Ortiz, I think it was smart because he's really invested in this project and I, I and I think the directing has gotten much better as it's gone through. I think that's probably why everything gets better is because of his creative vision and for him sticking to his guns and and really being hands on there. So, gotta give credit to Jordan, I think.
1: I oh yeah, no, 100%. I mean, Uh, The actor that plays Silver, I mean, I alluded to it earlier, and and Tom just did as well, but when you actually see the Arbiter beat them down, and then he gets his arm taken, uh, that scream that he gives is genuinely one of the best screams I've ever heard in anything for getting, like, a... There's too many times where people try to undersell it, and sometimes that works, but I think, you know, having your arm quite literally cut off is going to get a stronger reaction than no. Which, you know, a lot of people seem to do that. and It just worked for me. And the fact that you then see him essentially build himself a new arm is just icing on the top. Like, you get to see him forge himself back together and turn into the Chrono Ranger. It just it felt like you're watching something like out of Spawn or something all of a sudden. And that's that's great for me.
0: Dude, if I was on set and I heard that, and I heard him as soon as he let out that scream, I would have believed that he actually got his arm cut off. Because it's actually like really believable like you said i I mean yeah that scream was when i heard it too i was it was taken i was taken aback because like you don't hear even in in real movies screaming when your arm is chopped off you know like like you said they undersell it and for him to kind of go the opposite direction is um i don't know it it made me it made me feel for the character more even because i was already like this guy's awesome but yeah yeah
2: before he even got his arm chopped off this the fight with gold and silver I mean, the morphing sequence was spot on to time force as well. Yep. Um, the, 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 the fight itself had a very, it felt good too. They had the difference, uh, the maneuver this, maneuver that, you know, because they are a military force. They have that reference, like, Hey, we need to do this. We need to do that. And the fact that the Arbiter used the morphing grid to get through their chrono strikes, or at least to slow down time to understand what was going on, like, Come on! Someone was either watching the Flash that week when they were writing it, but it just looked so smooth that it it made sense.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, when um when he when Jen gets uh, impaled and he lets out that scream and and runs forward and morphs, it's such a cool moment. It's you know it ends exactly how you think it would. He essentially just gets battered away, and then we get Gold's much more effect heavy morph sequence. I I thought that was such a clever way of doing it because nothing annoys me more than demorphing to then morph again five seconds later. Um, but in this instance, it works perfectly. And yeah, I I I I hope that we see more from Chrono going forward. But I also would love to see more flashbacks with Gold. You know, I hope that that becomes something that they stick with as part of the story, like that motivation, those memories, that they don't just go right. We've shown you the backstory. Moving on, you know what I mean? What I'd like to see is,
2: you know, again, I'm just going to put it out there, um, because Chrono has the ability to pull weaponry, at least from the morphing grid, to an homage, like if he's the guy that eventually gets the final strike on the Arbiter for whatever reason, that he uses Gold's specific Chrono Sabres. Yeah. Just going to put that there. Yeah, it's cool.
0: Oh, by the way, by the way, with the action again, um, you mentioned way earlier that like uh, in the beginning it's kind of like Sakamoto-esque and then it gets more modern sensibilities in, in like the later episodes. This is an example of that. I think that's really cool that they kind of were like, okay, cool. We did the typical Power Ranger fashion style camera work, but let's do our own thing now. And for them to kind of even use a little shaky cam, but it was like wide frame. It's actually really cool. And it added more to like the impact of the arbiter strikes because these guys are already proving that they're really good fighters. So to add the shaky cam to kind of make it a lot more dynamic, a lot more hard hitting was a a really smart uh, decision, honestly. And I think that's probably why we can maybe think that he's moving better is because there's a little bit of like the shaky cam going on where it's like, oh, he's more hard hitting, but it's probably the same type of movements as the past episodes. But their use of camera work really sells it um, even more. So um, I just wanted to, I guess, bring that up.
1: Yeah. Well, I I, something that I I did make a note of, but I think we just got distracted by the fight sequence, is that when they do the Mighty Morphin stuff, it feels like a Mighty Morphin episode. But this is a Time Force episode, so the tone is completely different because Time Force's tone is completely different to Mighty Morphin. And I feel like all the stuff pre-Arbiter arriving feels like an extension of where Time Force could have gone you know this if if you told me that this was just like a time force epilogue i'd be like yeah that that's fine that works for me then the arbiter shows up and it becomes an unworthy episode but i feel that the fact that the the fight sequences and the style of choreography and the way it's shot is different is reflective of the fact that they want to, you to think of the way that time force did its stuff which had a lot of american footage shot even though they did use a lot of time ranger but there was a lot of american stuff done because They were trying to do something with Time Force. They were trying to push it to the next level. And they were thinking, like, maybe we're going to try and get an older audience this time. But because of other shenanigans happening in the background. And unfortunately, the year it came out, they kind of had to scale back with a lot of that and change aspects that, you know. But Time Force was still much more mature than pretty much any other season. Not necessarily since, because RPM exists, but it had a much more consistent, mature tone. For Power Rangers. I'm not saying it's mature, but you get what I'm saying. And I think this episode tried it to reflect that. It's scaled with the audience. It's scaled yeah. with the audience, pretty much. And, uh, yeah, episode four ends on a big sort of inspirational rally call to action. And everybody's kind of worked through their stuff. And now they know, you know, what Chrono's fighting for. And now we're going to get a big fight and, uh, we're going to call in old friends and see what happens next. Except we get more references. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> And obviously we get the hint that maybe the Vengex Ranger is going to come and save the day as well and do some more Guyver (laughs) kicks. Or flash kicks. (laughs) But, that leads us to the currently the most recent episode, which I'm pretty sure is actually soon to change, but we'll worry about that at a later date. But the last currently released episode is the Ninja episode. So, as it is the most recent, what was your thoughts, Tom, when that episode first dropped? Because... I know what mine were, but I want to hear what yours were. Ninjor's Oath.
2: Okay, so I was all about the unworthy stuff. Uh, perfectly, you know, right on top of it as soon as it came out. And for me, knowing that they took this left turn here and they, they went to this ninja thing, I was looking more for the unworthy rangers. So I didn't jump on it as soon as it came out. I regret this. <laughs> <laughs> I Because I absolutely should have. Um, not saying anything against them, but it's like, well, wait, 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 wait. I, I just had, you know, a little bait and switch over on number three and, and and a total bait and switch on episode four. And now we're going over here to Ninja but again, it's all world building and it makes sense. You know, in the long run, uh, I enjoyed it. I think it was great. Um, especially the fact the suit looked good. The new reference to using the voice was fantastic that they brought back from the original series. Yeah. Um, I mean, the Marvin the Martian esque thing was was great, and we know that we're go- also going to get Ninjacon from in Ninjor's spin off in the Last Ninjetti. um Seeing that this is going to kind of be like the place where they multiverse themselves or have their own extended universe in and all of itself is fantastic. I have nothing bad really to say about the the Ninjor episode, Ninjor's Oath. It's was shot one spot pretty much it was nicely done the C- the the CGI everything that was added in post made sense the the references were were just right it, it, you couldn't go wrong with it in my in my opinion what about you Aaron
0: i i loved it for the i loved it for the same reasons that that Tom was mentioning have his shot in 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 one location Like I said, the Zach's return interlude was really smart to have it in between, you know, I know that there's reasons now I'm clear, like there's reasons why they did that. But to kind of have another interlude um, in between episodes is really, is really cool and adds to like the series I guess, like, like, like the, the, the greatness of Unworthy is like, yeah, we got episodes, but we got, but we're so good at what we do. We have interlude episodes that are just like simply fight scenes of characters you just saw in episode three. I think it's really well done, and I think the camera works good, and I I like that there's like it it goes opposite of episode four and just is like a little corny cheesy. I like it, and then the fight itself is is really really well done, and um, Ninja kicks ass. I love I love the way Ninja fights. Yeah, um, I got to give credit to the performance there. Um, and Arbiter obviously this is where I was like, okay, Arbiter Arbiter is moving really freaking cool and like, really fast. Like like they definitely got the hang of it. Yes. And they definitely can spare a couple parts if they need it. And, um, yeah, so I, I like it for those reasons. I thought
1: it was great. Well, th- this episode is, is, I w- it's not my favorite because there's too much good stuff in the other episodes. However, it is a personal sort of, I don't use the term guilty pleasure, as you know, but it's, if I did, this would be it because Ninja is one of those weird ass characters. It's a love em, or, it's a love em or hate him character. Like,
2: as much as I said, I do love the fact that they brought back the, the Marvin the Martian-esque voice. It was, it, it it's like sandpaper on my ears back during Mighty Morphin Season 2. Mm-hmm. And yeah, they toned it down for this. But yes. They're... Yeah, they
1: definitely did. But I love the fact that they used the original voice, because there is another fan film out there that brought Ninja back, and they just made him a generic-sounding guy. And it really, really... Annoys me because I'm like, that's not ninja. That's just a I random guy. I believe that's a-
2: actually the ones in the Power Rangers Extended Universe, uh, through Nerdbot and Crimson Studios. Say again, sorry. I believe that particular ninja you're referencing
1: is the one from uh the Bloodline of the Grid Universe, the Extended no. Universe. I'm re- I'm referencing the one that Bat and the Sun did for Power Rangers versus Street Fighter. That okay? Yep. Because I know they're doing one over on that side too. Oh, okay. But, uh yeah, the fact that they, they kept this ninja as, you know, you've come to challenge the great ninja, that just did so much for me. And the other reason why this episode works is because one of the consistent things that we've all said through this entire show is the Arbiter shows up, the Arbiter kills whatever gets in his way, or he makes them look like jokes. The Arbiter shows up in this one, goes in for the killing blow, and ninja goes, eh, okay, this should be amusing. and. You've never seen that at any other point in the show. And that first way, he just catches the sword and he's like, well, you wouldn't be the first. I was like, yes, kick his ass. <laughs> it's like you, after all of the heartache and killings that he's done, the audience is like right there with Ninja. You know he's going to lose. He has to lose. There wouldn't be any more episodes. But the fact that he actually can stand up to the Arbiter is the first time it's happened in the entire run of the show and that leads into aaron's point which is this is the first time we've seen the arbiter actually have to work for a victory so he actually shows us what he's capable of and it just emphasizes how much he really wasn't trying in those earlier episodes
0: yeah yeah exactly i i really love the di- like the big movements he's able to do now like you know before it was it had to be very straight but he's very he's even kicking and before he would throw a couple kicks, but he's throwing kicks left and right on the choreo. And, uh, and it's, and it's really cool. And I, I really love how, um, after episode four, the heartache of episode four and stuff. Yeah. Like you said, like, it's just like a switch to this lighter tone. And for me, it was, it was much needed because I was like, damn, like this feels like a downer I have to wait so long. But then Ninja comes in with this, with this corny, cheesy, like persona I'm, that I'm not familiar with. So when he came in, I was like, Hey, this guy's really cool. I've never seen him in any other any of the other shows. And then when he does his like his morphin thing where like like the, the ground turns into fire, what is that uh, what he's
2: doing? Oh
1: uh, that's so <laughs> sick. I, I have rewatched that segment of that show over a dozen times. The the music, the hand signals, the mm. the references, the fucking like if you're into anime and you know you're Naruto, you know you're ninja and ninja history like all of this is just gold like never mind the power ranger lore which i'll get back yeah. to but that that whole sequence is just ninja heaven like he incorporates so much stuff so to answer your question aaron rather than just say how good it was in the <laughs> television show ninja is essentially well who gives them their powers back in season three after they lose them at the start like they lose their powers they lose their zords it's actually a really good sequence where the zords literally fall apart and explode. And it's really kind of heartbreaking as a kid to see that. Um, so ninja is essentially going to be the source of their new powers. He's the person that originally created the power coins in that lore at the time. It's kind of become a bit murkier as it's gone on, but he at that point was the creator of the power coins. So he essentially makes them new powers with new zords and new, a new source of power, which was to be a ninja instead of relying on the brute strength of the dinosaurs. Hence why they get new zords, but their costumes don't change because it was just giving them their powers back. So what's happening in that sequence is Ninjur is essentially unlocking all of the six animal spirits that he gives to the Power Rangers, and he's channeling them into himself, which is just one of the most badass moments in all of Power Rangers history. And the way he then literally delivers the it, it worked so well thematically because Arbiter has been saying that he's the will of the morphing grid. And then Ninja turns around and says, no, bitch, that's my job. <laughs> I am. And then goes through every animal spirit. And it, it, I know it's the limitations of the fact that it's, uh, it's, you know, it's a, it's a web show, but that final shot that he does with the Falcon tornado, I do wish, and I'm pretty certain it's what they wanted to do as well. That it had actually taken Arbiter off his feet and landed him on the ground. So that then he could have come up Undertaker style without, you know, and just floated back up and gone, but it protects you no more. I'm pretty sure that was the vibe they were going for. That whole sequence is just amazing. And I'm sorry, Tom, I can tell you want to geek out and add it as well. So go for it.
2: So I'm going to talk action for a second. Uh, (laughs) So hopefully Aaron can, Aaron can, uh confirm this so i'm i've got this here on my second screen which i really wanted to reference so when he does the ape if i'm correct that is shall that's a uh, monkey if i remember correctly they 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 loosely based that hit on uh monkey style right yes i i can um, answer that i know they did <laughs> so i like that and i like the fact that the wolf because in, in the series you know when you watch the wolf sword it was just bouncing all over like a whirling dervish then I would have, I would have liked just for fun. They would have done something fun, like a a big, huge jump down or whatnot of the frog, and yeah. uh, you know, and but tone down his line to go, and I'm a frog. Yeah, it's you know, to, to a the ultimate Adam reference
1: movie. to an yeah. ad libbed line that has outlived that film.
2: <laughs> yeah, the the frog was okay. Uh, you know how they did the CGI and they put it into to his. You know the the leg and the arm for that push maneuver was really nice. Um, The crane with the multiple hits at, at one point—I think it would it would have been too spot on if they would have done like Karate Kid crane.
1: Well, the, the the crane was actually a reference, a direct reference to Naruto. Like the camera work, the visual effects, that whole sequence is a literal fight scene from Naruto. Oh. And I cannot for the life of me remember the names of the characters because my Naruto knowledge is rusty but i like they they put a thing up showing you the side by side and it is spot on and i can see aaron's nodding his head yeah it's so just so good
0: yeah it's fantastic um he does like a cool shaolin thing with his feet where he's like where he's like getting in the wider stance ready for like that big hit uh really i really love i really love that as well um there's just so many cool moves that that's in this fight alone um that makes me really love it and on top of that i mean the the, the costume design of enjoy this is my first time seeing his costume um it's really like sleek rounded off and stuff and yeah, <laughs> i, I really, really got to admire the work here done by them and arbiter Arbiter, for some reason looks even a lot more texturized like his costume i don't know if i'm tripping or not if this is a camera but even his no, costume looks a little bit more
1: upgraded. I I think the arbiter costume has changed throughout the episodes. I think they've got okay. multiple arbiters now, and I think that's part of the reason why this one moves better. I think this is a two mm-hmm. arbiter. Got it. That makes sense, man, dude. Um, I I don't know. I'm geeking out more in this episode than
0: I than I expected. But um, I mean, because I'm I rewatched it yesterday and I was kind of taken aback by how much of how good it was. So um, I mean, I really like his confidence. Uh, like you said earlier, like. Everyone is kind of getting beat down by Arbiter, and he and he does still. But the sheer confidence of his character, like like no, I can take you. No, I I," you know even though he loses, like bitch, I got you. You know, like it's it's really cool. Uh, Everyone else is scared by Arbiter. He was the only guy that seemed like really wasn't. um, He said, "Fuck around and find (laughs) out." Yeah, so um, I'm excited for Ninja to come in and like and like teach uh, the unworthy guys. Right, that's kind of how the episode ends off. Yeah, in a montage sense. Um but yeah, no, love Ninjor now.
1: So thematically, lore wise, Ninjor is essentially like a master level wielder of the morphing grid. He can do stuff with it that other people don't even know is possible. Like that's why he's like, as you said, he's confident because he works out who the Arbiter is. Like that's what I like. Like, even though he loses, Arbiter realizes this guy's actually a threat. Like, I cannot just mess around and let him get away because if he does, he could actually pass on his information to other people and then they might be a problem, which is, like you said, exactly what's going to happen. But even in his defeat, the Arbiter pays him a compliment. He literally is surprised that he was able to deflect the killing blow because no one else has ever been able to do that. And then Ninja challenges his big Kamehameha wave and fires it off, giving us his iconic line of evil makes me so angry. And you get the fire in his visor, which is a direct reference to season three Mighty Morphin when that used to happen all the time. But the rest of the conversation, the exposition that goes on between the two of them, this philosophical debate of does the Arbiter have the right to decide whether or not the Power Rangers are good guys or bad guys? Who says whether or not they're heroes or villains? I actually spoke to Jordan about this um, when the episode came out and he was like, you're going to like where this goes, because I basically said like Ninja hasn't pegged because there's this big thing of can the Arbiter be redeemed? And the answer, in my opinion, is no, because it's one thing to be redeemed if you're like you believe this stuff and you've only gone so far with it. But he's slaughtered hundreds, if not thousands, of other rangers. He's made whole dimensions essentially defenseless if bad things happen. Because we only ever see him killing the good guys. He doesn't seem to go after the bad guys of each dimension, which is just crazy to me. Ninja has him pegged within like the first two minutes of meeting him. It's like, yes, you say this, you say that, but you're just another self-righteous bully and I've got to stop you. And to me, it's like Ninja's strength is up here. You know, he might be a really good fighter. He does have a lot of power, but his awareness of things and the fact that he does have the same history, the same knowledge of the grid that Arbiter does makes him on his level. And that is what works so well for me. It's, it's so cool when he does dish out his powers in a way that we never saw on the television show. But at the same time, his threat is yet to come. Like, we all know he's going to get his little bit of revenge by passing it on to the unworthy team.
2: Now, can I, can we theorize here for a second? Or are, we, are we at that point yet? Yeah, I think so. So I'm going to theorize here going forward, um, not talking about the other projects that Unworthy Productions is doing, but just sticking completely in the unworthy thing. Um, if Ninjor does catch up with the unworthy team, do you think they're going to combine the ninja powers with the MMPR powers, do you think they might get weapons designed for ninja powers in the MMPR suits? Like, there's a lot of things because we've already seen the Terra Dragon Ranger, which Unworthy has has denoted. But you know, how do we address the White Falcon powers? How do we do this? Do do you think we're going to get another upgrade form, or are we just going to easily for production costs? Hey, let's just make some weapons and you know use that as, as our Deus Ex Machina.
1: I think they will basically do what they did with Ninja. If, if he does pass on the ninja powers, I think they will essentially be spiritual add-ons in the same way that Ninja uses them. They won't, they, well, they might, but I can't see them doing new suit designs or new weapons because if they change the weapons, that defeats episode three's whole point of Rocky getting the power sword and Kim taking the Dragon Dagger. Now, he might make new weapons for the other three, but that would seem a bit, I don't know. Um, off balance. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's more likely that he will essentially have them train, skill up, and then say, right, when you need them, you can now call on the animal spirits in the same way that he does, and they will infuse you with more power, so you'll actually be able to stand up to the Arbiter in the same way that Ninjor did. So they'll be using both the Dinosaur and the Ninja powers and I think, I might be wrong, but I think the White Falcon Powers will go to Chrono. Because he's Ooh. he's basically their sixth ranger at this point. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think they'll try and do a new Tommy or a White Ranger. I think they'll give it to Chrono.
2: That's an excellent idea. Like, cause and it just comes off, you know, going off of like what the Bloodline guys are doing, how they've upgraded their, their guys. You've seen the, their Time Force CO hybrid. You've seen DJs, um, what what that hybrid ranger? Oh, cros. Sorry, DJ. Um, <laughs> I've known DJ for years. Um, whatever his name, the character is. Oh, crap. Um, but yeah, I I think it's they they got to do it smartly. Um, they they've done everything smartly so far. So to see, I'm really in, intrigued to see where they go. Um, when you said it like that, like the spirit thing, uh you know what it gave me a reference to. Um The never for those of you guys who don't know, there's always been a crossover in Power Rangers, but there were certain seasons in the Disney era that didn't get the crossover in the episodes. Yeah, particularly uh, the one that we didn't get was in the Japanese movie where the Jungle Fury Rangers, I'm going to just use their American counterparts, did the crossover with the RPM Rangers and they were able to use the what the Gekiwaza, the their spirit energy and taught the RPM Rangers how to use it as well. So I could see that. Definitely being a great idea, too.
1: Yeah. If they incorporate the animal spirits in a similar way to how Jungle Fury did it, which there is precedent for, because as much as I don't like the season, Mega Force did it where they had Casey come back and teach their, some of them how to use animal spirits. That could actually work. That would be a really good way of because they, you know, they've already got the models. They've already got the CGI models that they've used for Ninja. So it wouldn't be that much work to manipulate them. Mm hmm. What about you,
2: Aaron? What are your thoughts for the future? Um, I'm just looking forward to more jordan
0: I'm looking forward to more Ninja. And now, now that we talked about the episode, I'm looking forward to him being like the grandmaster, teaching these guys. And I'm looking look I'm looking forward to, like, honestly, um, better performances acting-wise from these guys. I, like I said, Jordan's direction has really been stepped up throughout the series. And I, I think, like, what we got coming up next is going to be really special with regards to acting. And, you know, obviously... I think I'm really confident in the action. There's nothing really I can hope for with the action. All I know is that it's going to be freaking great. So, um, I'm excited to see, you know, how the performances, I guess, progress from the actors and the stunt actors cuz um I do want to see the unworthy team get back into action, you know. I, I got I got my fixing with the with the Time Force era cuz I love Time Force by the way. I feel like I haven't really been clear. I'm rewatching Time Force cuz it was my favorite era, it's my favorite designs. Now that I got my fixing of like really cool Time Force action. Uh, I'm ready to go back to like the unworthy guys. Uh, I'm looking forward to that theorizing. I'm not sure what's going to happen. All all, all I can hope for is that it's just going to be another like great episode. So, yeah.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Ninja coming back solves one of the things that the show has been consistently trying to do, which is pretty much the entire show is just them trying to get back to the command center because they need to talk Mm -hmm. to Zordon. And I don't think that's ever going to happen. But I think bringing Ninja in is basically going to give them that mentorship and that guidance that they need right now. And I think Ninja being Ninja will be able to help the Chrono Ranger get through his shit, essentially. You know, the Chrono Ranger was a great guide for the others, but he has still got a lot of baggage himself. And Ninja, as much as he was, you know, OTT with his voice, he was actually very good at knowing what to say to the Rangers to guide them through their problems of the day yes they weren't these sorts of problems because it's a very different show but i think that would be a great way to kind of bring his mentor character full circle of you know the chrono ranger still needs that mentoring and guidance and ninja could be the one to do that and then that would be a great way to give him the falcon spirit if that's what they choose to do
0: yeah and that's one thing i i liked about using ninja as a character actually was because i mean watching the episode i was kind of like why did they choose Ninjor as like this guy to be their mentor? That's an interesting choice. I mean, these guys, I mean, could, could have chosen any character, but because of so how dark and drab everything is for these characters, bringing in like this really like, uh, almost upbeat type of character. I like, it's, it's actually really like necessary. And, uh, I kind of see it now why he's this, why he is the mentor. And I think that's a really smart decision.
2: On the flip to that, it's on the same, well, not flip on the same note to that. It makes more sense to, Go chronologically through the season, so going to or adapting the ninja powers is a natural progression. Are we going to see thunder powers? Probably not, but having ninja being more mobile as opposed to you know the space wizard in a tube makes a lot more sense.
1: Yeah, yeah, and it it also helps as well because um you were saying about why why would they pick ninja? Well, they made a lot of references to MMPR the movie throughout this entire series. And Ninja is basically the television's version of Dulcia from the movie, which is where the Ninjetti are from, because they don't actually call themselves Ninjetti in the television series, but they made a point of fusing those two conflicting laws together and trying to make them work. So I'm pretty. Hmm? Try. (laughs) (laughs) Big Try. I think that's going to go somewhere because there are other side projects that are coming. There is an Injeti project coming. And the next one is the Psycho Menace, which sounds like the most random of them all. I'm really curious to see how that's going to play into it. And that could get us so off topic, I'm not going to go too into it. But I will just say I'm very excited to see the Psycho Rangers again and whatever it is that they're going to do with them. But also, we've mentioned Bloodline of the Grid quite a few times throughout this. There are actually bloodline of the grid people who are going to be in the psycho menace one of which is christopher carmen lee who was originally andros from power rangers in space so i'm sure that's going to get a lot of attention when that does eventually come out
2: yeah i think it's going to be great and i and i well i have my theory i'm just going to put it in the chat later how about that okay yeah that's fine that, that way we don't soapboxing
1: go even more off topic so That's pretty much us discussing about Unworthy drawn to a close. Is there anything you guys would like to add that I just haven't brought up for you or you've remembered at the last minute before we close off?
2: Uh, Again, I just want to say cheers to everybody in the Unworthy productions. They started with a great fan film. And, you know, as someone who I am extremely critical of Power Rangers, I know it is my, my side gig. It's what I do. I will call BS for BS. Um, I've even said, even to a particular writer of Power Rangers stuff, like, dude, seriously, like, that's lazy writing. Um, I, I have to give them the highest bona fides and the highest respect. They have put out a great product, and to see that they're sustaining it and keeping it going says a lot to them and also to the fandom who's as particular. Um, that's uh, that's supporting them. So, cheers to everybody involved in the project.
0: And then for me, uh, I want to give my flowers to Eric Fuchs and the stunt team behind this uh, series. Everyone that's worked on it, fantastic work. I think there are kids who are going to watch this web series, and honestly, be like transfixed and be like sent to another dimension the way I was when I saw Time Force as a kid. I think the way that Isaac Florentine's work and Sakamoto's work really impacted me as a kid is the way that Eric Fuchs and Jordan Barnett's work is going to commu- you know go with kids as well. So I think um, I got to give my flowers to them because um, I think they're going to really inspire a whole new generation. You know, this generation is on YouTube. They are watching web series. And I think um, this will add some great, this will add some great lore to the Power Rangers franchise and um, yeah. So giving my flowers to everybody involved, just like Tom. Um, but I had to give credit to the action department because that's really throughout this whole series, what I've been like looking at due to my lack of knowledge in the lore. So. Oh,
2: I forgot. I do have one grape. Oh, yeah. Shorter
1: intro. Oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. Episode four is where we, we don't, get it's not the debut, but episode four is where we, we get a theme song. And I really like the theme yeah. song. But I do agree with you. It, it, it could do maybe a little bit shorter when it's actually in the episodes. The fact that they've got like a full length song is great. But yeah, uh, when it, when it starts to be the intro of multiple episodes, I think rewatching this is going to be like skip. <laughs> That's my only gripe, really. But I do just want to add to something that Aaron just made me think about when you said mm-hmm. that you were really influenced by Sakamoto and Florentine. Obviously, Isaac Florentine was on Power Rangers. And it just had completely skipped my mind when I was saying about the Scott Adkins-infused fight scene. Well, another way of putting it would be an Isaac Florentine fight scene for episode four. So, there you go. You've just unlocked, perhaps, the mystery of where that inspiration came from. One was Sakamoto, one was Florentine, which would not surprise me. It's crazy. And on that bombshell, I think we're about done. I think all of our voices are ready to stop talking now. So... I'm going to hand you back over to the me of the future to tell you what's coming next. Alright, that's it. You've reached the end. Conclusion. Finito. One thing I need to say that I was going to say in the intro and then forgot and then decided it wasn't important enough to re-record it is, yes, I'm aware, if you're a die-hard fan, I kept saying Shattered Dimensions when I meant to say Shattered Grid. Shattered Dimensions is the Spider-Man game about multiverse Spider-Men coming together. I think at the time I had that in my head for some reason. Uh, I wasn't corrected anytime I said it, which was a bit weird, but yeah, Shattered Grid is what I was talking about anytime I said Shattered Dimensions. Um, not to be confused with Battle for the Grid, which was the video game adaptation of Shattered Grid. So, you know, there's a lot of different versions of those specific words out there. It's quite easy to get them confused. I want to give a thanks once again to both of my guests today. It was fantastic having them both on and I really enjoyed it and Aaron was very much there to be the action guy, even though he was really enjoying the Power Rangers stuff, so I want to give a special shout out to him for coming on. And naturally, off-the-cuff gaming, you know, he was very much in from day one to talk about the deep cut references and Power Rangers. Given that we were trying to talk about four episodes and two interludes, I knew that this was going to be difficult to condense and cover literally everything. But I also didn't want to release an episode for every episode because that really wasn't warranted. If in the future, or rather when, should I say, they finish this show, we will probably reconvene and do a part two, but that is obviously subject to availability. I hope that the Unworthy team is able to give us a satisfactory conclusion, and I know that they are working hard on their next project and episode five when that is ready. So I know that it will happen. It's just a case of being patient and waiting for it, too. That is going to be about it. Again, I know this has been a really long one, so thank you for being so patient and listening to the end as always. The next episode is actually going to be a conversation with episode, and normally I would leave that as a sort of teaser to get you to be interested, but in all honesty, this one is already done. It's already filmed, so there's no danger of me having to make a last minute switch. This episode will be a conversation with Jean-Paul Lee, star of Night Shooters and Jailbreak, which is currently streaming on Netflix. He has also been in a bunch of other stuff. He is a stuntman. He is a stunt coordinator. He's a fight choreographer. He's recently dipped his toes into becoming a director. And he had a lot to say. I hope that you guys will be excited for that one and I shall see you then. But until then, guys, take care of yourselves and I will see you in that next one.